0: This episode is brought to you by GovX, and as you know, I only have companies on here that I truly use and believe in myself, and GovX is a complete no-brainer. If you are a member of fire, police, EMS, corrections, military, and even hospital-setting doctors and nurses, you qualify for the free membership to GovX, which marries us with discounts from so many companies that you probably already use. And on top of that, it's not just for active duty, but also retirees, veterans, and volunteers. So for our professions, having to purchase so much of our equipment, every single dollar counts. And understanding that, GovX has reached out to you, the Behind the Shield podcast audience, to offer you an additional saving. On your first purchase of $50 or more, if you use the code SHIELD, S-H-I-E-L-D, they will give you an additional $15 off your first purchase. And another layer of GovX is GovX Gives Back. Every month they're going to sell a different patch and the proceeds from that patch goes to a charity that supports either first responders or military. So as I mentioned before, go to govx.com, G-O-V-X register for your free membership and save every single time you purchase. This episode is sponsored by 5.11 Tactical, a company that I've used for around 14 years now and continue to use to this day. And they are offering you, the audience, a 15% discount, not on one purchase, but continuously. And I'll give you that code in just a moment. But I want to do a product showcase on their new Atlas sneakers and boots. So I'm a big believer in the fact that footwear can either improve our health or break down our health. And the Atlas sneaker actually has a new foam system that disperses the body weight, whether just the body weight, whether it's a, a vest and a gun, whether it's EMS bags being carried. And on top of that, they're lightweight, despite having the same protection that's required in the tactical space. So I have a pair of Atlas sneakers myself, and I can attest they're extremely comfortable. On top of footwear, of course, 5.11 offers a gamut of uniforms and equipment, whether it's plate carriers, backpacks, flashlights, you name it, they have it. All you have to do is go to 5.11tactical.com and use the code SHIELD15. That's shield 15 at 511tactical.com and you will save every time you purchase. And to learn more about the company 511 Tactical, you can listen to episode 338 of the Behind the Shield podcast with the CEO, Francisco Morales. Welcome to episode 403 of Behind the Shield podcast. As always, my name is James Gearing and this week it is my absolute pleasure to welcome on the show, Jonathan Montgomery. Now, Jonathan is a musician turned firefighter turned nutrition and fitness coach. So he has an incredibly powerful story. So he has an incredible powerful story, including his own transformation from extremely overweight and unhealthy through to the athlete that he is today. Before we get to that interview, as I say every single week, please just take a moment, go to whichever app you listen to this on, subscribe to the show, leave feedback and leave a rating each five star rating truly does make this project more visible making it easier for others to find and this is a free library for you planet earth so all i ask in return is that you help share these incredible men and women's stories so i can get them to everyone else who needs to hear them and jonathan was kind enough to mention the book that i wrote one more light so i haven't mentioned this in the intro for a while i don't want to be that guy that's always harping on about my own stuff But because Jonathan mentioned it, if you are interested in purchasing it, it's available on Amazon, digital and paperback and will be available on audiobook in the next couple of weeks. So with that being said, I introduce to you Jonathan Montgomery. Enjoy. Jonathan, I want to start by saying thank you so much for taking the time to come on the podcast today.
1: Thanks, brother, man. It's, it's truly an honor to be here and get a chance to talk with you today.
0: Well, I had a funny, uh, funny moment just as a segue before we get into the whole journey. I was at a red light here in Ocala and um, a truck pulls up next to me and I recognize it was um, one of my son's friend's dad's and he's like, hey, out through the window, um, do you know Jonathan Montgomery? And I'm like, uh, yeah, I do, yeah. He's like, oh, you know, he's good friends of mine. And I didn't realize that you were the guy he was talking about that had the book. So he's shouting across oh. at a red light. So it was kind of funny your name came up just the other day.
1: Wow, man, that's hilarious. What a, what a small world. Um, you know, y- you've <laughs> obviously quite the world traveler, but to land like in such a close geographic proximity to where we have that kind of stop at a red light thing, that's, that's hilarious, man, that's awesome.
0: So the very, very beginning. So where on planet Earth are we finding you today?
1: I uh, I live now uh, in Vero Beach, Florida, on the East Coast.
0: Brilliant. So tell me about where you were actually born, and then your family dynamic, what your parents did, and how many siblings.
1: Man, a- absolutely. So I was uh, born and raised in Lakeland, Florida. Uh, been been a Floridian my entire life, um, which is which is about two hours from here. So I haven't I haven't migrated too far, not across the pond or anything. Um, and uh, my mom and dad, you know, they were uh, they were just working people their whole life. Man, my dad uh, installed fiber optics for what was GTE, then became Verizon his whole life. And uh, my mom worked in banking and uh, finance and credit the whole time. And and uh, I'm an only child, which is uh, which is which is kind of an interesting dynamic. It probably explains on on how fortunate I am to get to do some of the stuff I did, like touring in bands and 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 being kind of in that lifestyle for a while. But, uh, but the one thing that stood out to me about my parents is, uh, you know, they, they always worked and they always lived below their means so I could have kind of the life they didn't growing up. My dad grew up on a farm and my mom grew up in a pretty bad home life situation. So they all always kind of did whatever they could to, to support me in my endeavors and, uh, and, and help me have a life they didn't, which always kind of resonated with me, something that a lot of people aren't fortunate to have.
0: Absolutely. Well, you touched on your mom having a bad environment. Are you able to expand on that slightly?
1: Yeah, you know, uh I mean, I- I'm sure my mom's not going to my mom's not going to hear this one. Um, but uh my mom grew up with an alcoholic father. Um, her mom died young and her stepmom um, you know, died young as well uh before I was born. And uh, you know, a-, a lot of stuff happened with that alcoholic father. Um, you know, growing up, Catholic school and uh bringing some of her friends over and uh Him kind of making some inappropriate statements about, you know, members of the clergy and stuff in front of him. made sure she had no friends. And uh, the fact that he was a union rep in the 50s, which meant she kind of was on the recipient of a lot of uh, racism at the time, had crossburn in her yard and stuff like that. Just kind of a not the the best upbringing you want to have. But that perspective, she kind of was able to instill on me like, hey, be a good person, treat people right. Don't do this to other people. And that kind of always resonated, too.
0: Beautiful. I'm glad I asked that. Not that I want to kind of, you know, peel open someone's traumatic past, but more so to illustrate again, you, you opened with how, you know, considerate your parents were to make sure that they, you know, set you up for success. And it's beautiful when you hear someone that's had a traumatic past, but they haven't let it define them. They, they've used that as a lesson, as, as a forewarning to make sure that the buck stops there and they don't pass it on to the next generation
1: you know, you're, you're 100% right, because it's very easy to, uh, you know, I mean, and my, my dad, his, his father was 50 years old when he had him. So, uh, there wasn't a lot of going out, tossing the ball and playing catch. It was pretty much a lot of go grab your switch pick, pick your poison. When you, when you get punished, pick which one I'm going to beat you with. Um, but it's one of those things where it's like, you know, it could have been very easy, you know, for my mom to turn to substance abuse, to, uh, to, to cope with these kind of things and to deal with these things. Cause, cause that's some real trauma you know, you have to deal with as a child. And, uh, you know, she didn't, man, she, she adapted, she overcame and, and she used her position in life when, when she had me to make sure I didn't have to deal with that and deal with that adversity. You know, I knew it was wrong when, uh, when, when there were clans members protesting, when an African American family moved into the neighborhood, I, I knew that was wrong from a, from a, from a very solid foundational level from a very young age. And I feel very fortunate to, that my mom passed that on to me in the right direction, not the wrong one.
0: Beautiful. Yeah, the, the theme has come up a little bit recently. Uh, I just did a walk, a ruck with the Give Team, which is a local um, uh, youth project in Paramore, which is a very, very poor, uh, predominantly Haitian area in Orlando. And this group is incredible. It's out of the New Image uh, Youth Center. And this this one founder, she she initiated this and got all these kids going in, in the positive direction. And what's interesting, I had a few of them on the show and they all hail their success to their parents, too. So we're not talking about wayward parents. In that community, this Haitian community, the, you know, the mom and dad were very involved, but they're just around a lot of poverty, around some really bad influences. But we did um a ruck to commemorate the 100th anniversary of the Ocoee Massacre. So you know the Orlando area. Every single person I've asked from around here has never even heard of that before. But there was a black man that tried to vote, was turned away, Long story short, ran to a, um, you know, was, was charged by a mob, ran to a local house um, for protection. They ended up um, killing, I think it was like 30 or 40 people, you know, burning down the houses. If they came running out, they shot them. The one guy whose house they went into, they strung him up from a tree and then used the body for target practice for about two days after. And they drove all the black people out of that town. And from what I understand, um, the first black family moved back in in the 80s. This was the 1920s. So, you know, even though I don't think there's, you know, this blanket polarizing statements are getting at the moment where all white people are racist, which is complete bullshit as well. That particular kind of story, like you said, your mom seeing burning crosses on, on the, the front lawn, those pockets of hateful racists do exist. And and we have to acknowledge some of these tragedies when they happened and, and learn from them, just like your mom learned from the traumatic past that she had.
1: You know, absolutely. There, there are things that that you know got me, got me a little chills on that one, uh, James. But there, there are things that no one should have to experience. You know, being a young child growing up and not being able to be friends with people because you were called a a, a racist. You know, basically the the equivalent of a race trader. I'm not going to say the name. When you're a child, th- that's that's not something you should have to endure and go through. And just like any victims of racism shouldn't have to endure and go through it. And I think what you just said right there um, should basically just be applied to so many things. But a spe- a specifically, broad sweeping generalities and polarizing opinions—they don't apply to everybody. There, there's there's good and there's bad. And looking at it for what it is, the situation that it is—I mean, w- what you just described, not having a, a family of color in an area for for sixty years. Clearly, you know, there's there's an issue there, but that doesn't make anything inherently right or inherently wrong. It means we need to address that issue. And uh, you're right, man. that's that's a huge thing. And, and taking it back to the, the kids, you said the tribute to their parents. I think that's really where a lot of stuff comes from, man, is what side of the dice did you get on uh, with that genetic lottery? Man, and, and that's something that we can't necessarily change, but we also don't have to let it define us moving forward. We can we can grow from it. We can adapt from it. We can change from it. We can improve from it. And I think that's the the underlying crux: is how are we going to get better today?
0: Yeah, absolutely. And it's interesting. After that walk, I ended up watching Selma. I, I've been wanting to watch it for a long time, and it was like, all right. Well, I'm obviously inspired by the voting at the moment. I'm inspired by you know this particular episode of you know horrendous you know hate massacre basically. Um, and that's obviously a very powerful moment in, in black history and in, in the life of Martin Luther King. What is a little known fact about that is during the Selma um, protests, I won't even call them riots because basically the protesters were just beaten, um, There, one black man was killed, a white clergy member and a white woman were killed that were down there supporting the movement. So again, to counter that blanket, you know, racism, there were more white people killed in that particular incident than there were black people, and they were standing side by side the African American, you know, community because they they saw it not as color, but as as love versus hate.
1: You know, a- absolutely, and I mean, I think that's something that 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 you know we see on the on the job every day. Man, um, I've had members of crews that I've worked with be asked to leave homes because of their color. And you know, <laughs> that's my brother right there, that's my sister right there. If if you're asking them to leave, you're asking everybody to leave. And, and and I think it's you know, it's it's 2020, man, and as crazy as 2020's been, these instances, they still occur, they still go on. And and just as ludicrous as it is to say what you said earlier, every white person's racist and, and every every black person is, is evil or whatever it is it's just as as ludicrous to say there's nothing wrong and this stuff still doesn't happen and it's 2020 and and everybody needs to get over it this this happens every day and it's interesting because you know we we would go to work and we would see no color yet every call we would respond to someone would see it and i think that's just the difference in expectations man you know are you exposing yourself to different cultures are you embracing diversity are you allowing yourself to become of something a part of something bigger than yourself so you understand that there is a greater good these are all things that i think are where some of the answers lie that unfortunately you know especially this year with the, with the division and the the isolation we're really moving further away from
0: yeah i couldn't agree more and it's the irony with with the profession that we shared and loved is I can't think of a better profession that demonstrates that color, class, sexual orientation is irrelevant because we have one, you know, momental. Well, I guess it's the wrong word. I guess pivotal, pivotal moment, which is when the tones go off, and you get in your vehicle and you head to whatever is going on. You don't get there and go, oh, turn around. It's a it's a Spanish person. I don't like Spanish people. You know what I mean? This this profession inherently puts their lives on the line. You know, and law enforcement do, of course, but obviously they're being tarnished with some of the acts that we've seen that were completely unacceptable from their profession. And a lot of them where they've been doing their job and they've just been kind of hung, drawn and cord in the in the media. But it's so strange when you do see some of that racist element amongst some of our men and women and you're like, you you gotta look in the mirror. What you're actually doing is a beautiful, compassionate act, but the ridiculousness that you've been raised to believe is actually complete contradiction for what you truly believe in because you've volunteered to put your life on the line for people of all colors and creeds.
1: Absolutely, you know, and and you know, I think I think it is, you know, whether you go to Pareto efficiency and 80-20 rule or you or you realize that a that a bad apple ruins the bunch or whatever it is. Um I, I think when you show up every day and uh, you know, you, you get dressed in the morning not knowing if you're going home and you set out with the intention to do good things, you tend to grow past that a little bit. Now, I'm sure we can all cite examples where that's not the case. You know, my wife being on the job, she had captains not want to let her drive them. Um, she was victims of of you know harassment to a degree. Um, she was held to a to a um, you know a, a different standard because she was female. But instead of letting that get to her, she rose up and physically trained to make sure she could do the job. She studied hard so she could perform. She showed a captain that that didn't want to let her drive that she could drive and pump just as good as anybody else. So I think it's one of those things where we can't we can't put a blanket on and go everybody in a badge is good. But we absolutely know, speaking from experience, that everybody wearing a badge isn't bad. Um, I I really want to find the systemic hate policy that gets handed out to all these agencies that that sometimes it gets gets attributed by because I've never seen it. Uh, My brothers and sisters that are law enforcement officers can't find it. Um, I've never seen it either. I think it comes down to, you know, at the end of the day, we're all humans and just because we do a job that requires us to be better than human at some point doesn't mean we are. It means we're still going to fail. We're still going to have consequences to our actions. These consequences just happen to be so much larger. And I think that's why you have to constantly strive to be better. Um, and, and that's where I think a lot of it falls to the wayside in so many ways is, is losing sight of how important it is to improve
0: beautiful well that was quite the tangent we just started the conversation <laughs> um all right well then going back to your early life I and mean, i think that's 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 such a great perspective and i love that especially from you know not only being in the fire service but us both transitioning out you know getting that kind of uh broader view of everything that's going on um so when you were young you mentioned bands what what instruments were you playing during uh, school age
1: Oh man. So, uh, so I actually, I actually got started in music a little late. Um, uh, you know, going back to kind of my parents always supporting me. I was kind of that stereotypical kid that, that got a new hobby, the shiny object syndrome. And then, uh, then it faded out and then I wanted to do this and it faded out. I'm, um, 11 or 12 years old. And my dad's out building a half pipe for me so I could skateboard and that lasted for, you know, four or five months. I didn't want to skateboard anymore. I got my first guitar at 12, played for six months. My fingers hurt, didn't touch it again. So, uh, w- when I started getting, you know, a little bit older, started driving, started getting into, 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 high school, um, kind of finding my own way. And I started getting into punk rock and skateboarding. Uh, my parents of course rolled their eyes, but once again, they went and spent that money they didn't have to help me out, help me find these hobbies. And, uh you know, I, I got into music, man. I got into music from skateboarding, um, from, from being that punk rock kid from, uh, you know, dyeing my hair blue and, and, and walking into my, my mom's bedroom one day asking if she had an earring. Cause I put a needle through my lip cause I wanted to pierce my lip, you know, all the silly stuff you're not supposed to do. And, uh, you know, I, I got into to music from skateboarding and, you know, here I am wanting to buy a guitar and, uh, you know, my parents are like, oh, okay, well, we'll get you a guitar. And, you know much to much to my chagrin two months later i didn't want to play the guitar i wanted to play the bass <laughs> and uh, had had to beg for another bass but uh, that's when i actually started playing in bands i had my bass for about a month and uh, i was going down to saint pete hanging out a lot and i got offered to uh, try out for a hardcore band that I actually had a pretty decent following back in the day and uh you know i picked up bass really well i gravitated towards it you know extremely well and a month after playing i was i was doing shows for you know a couple hundred kids um, playing bass and having fun. And it was funny. It's my high school year. And uh, Mondays and Fridays are band practice. So I'm driving to St. Pete as a 17 year old kid, um, you know, playing shows, coming back, driving back, going to school and doing the whole thing. And it just kind of took off from there. Um, when I got out of high school, um, I, had, I was kind of faced with that that moral decision. Of, of what you want to do. And I refused at that point to take the SATs because I felt they were culturally biased and you shouldn't base someone's, you know, academic portfolio on this, this example of a test. So there were my chances at scholarships. So I just decided, Hey, why not hit the road? And, uh, you know, I started touring and I spent 10 years touring and filming different bands for work and uh, just playing my own stuff and having fun. And, uh, it was just, just a crazy experience, man. I started playing bass and then I played bass and sang. And in my last two bands, I just sang. And there's air quotes going up right now that you can't see because singing isn't exactly, uh, what, what I think I did. I kind of, uh, (laughs) kind of really butchered it pretty good. I was a much better front man than I was an actual, uh, trained vocalist, but we had fun, man. It's just, you know, going to see the country ended up a thousand miles away from your home trying to, uh, you know, sell CDs to get gas to go to the next show. It was just a crazy experience. I mean, there was no GPSs, no smartphones. You're, you're figuring out how to get to the next town using a Rand McNally Atlas. Um, and it was just, just a set of experiences that, you know, just were, were unique. And I think you, you just, you don't get that kind of perspective much anymore. You know, you, you read about people backpacking across the country, reading Kerouac or whatever. And uh, getting a chance to do that on kind of a small scale like that for for that that time period, I think was just a really awesome thing.
0: Beautiful. Well, just as a side note, you know, I talk about sleep deprivation a lot. And one of the observations, you know, we lost Avicii, we lost Chester, we lost, you know, Chris Cornell, so many people in the music world. Um, And I always wonder, I mean, I don't know, but, you know, there's there's obviously the – the mental health element, you know, a lot of these people that are in entertainment, you know, sometimes it's, it's driven by some things that have happened in the past, but there's also that touring element that, especially with Avicii, for example, you know, if you, if you're into the dance music, you know, there is obviously the ecstasy scene. There's the fact that most of these raves are going all through the night. Did you with the touring, with the playing ever find yourself, um, you know, incredibly fatigued because of, of the kind of timetable of being a musician
1: oh a- absolutely it's uh it's crazy it's funny um side note but it'll circle back we just went back for the for the first time uh to my hometown of lakeland for an actual meetup with with first in and uh three of the guys that i used to play with are now members and uh we were just sitting around hanging out eating hamburgers talking talking about back in the day and Just on the way down, I was telling my wife how ridiculous it was that the funnest thing in the world to us was to get in a car or get in a van and drive eight to 10 to 12 hours overnight to play 35 minutes of music for anywhere between eight to 800 kids. And uh, and I was looking at, at, at my buddy Leo, my buddy Jay. And I was like, man, I can't believe we did that. And, and, you know, he's like, man, when you put it that way, he's like, that sounds silly. I was like, but it was the best time ever. And everybody's face just lit up and said, man, it was the best time ever. But those nights on the road, those constant overnights, those those, you know, I think the biggest stretch I ever did of a a band that I was friends with named Midtown uh, wrecked their van and trailer. And my buddy and I offered to take them on tour in my van and trailer. And we drove from New Jersey to Los Angeles straight. And it was 55 hours in the van, nonstop. We'd switch out drivers, obviously. But sleeping in the van is like sleeping in a firehouse. You're not asleep. You're always worried about who's driving. Are we gonna blow out? Please turn that music down. You know, it's very similar to that heightened sense of, of, of alertness, just with a different kind of risk factor. And uh, man, you do that for months on end and, and you do see the changes, very similar. You know, I, I left on tour in great shape. Two years later, looked like, you know, the, a bag of biscuits. Or can of biscuits, you know, it's like these things happen, and it is a lot of it is that hard lifestyle, the poor eating, the 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 poor sleeping, the the just the stress of of being in these scenarios. Um, it there really is an interesting tangent, and it's funny because I've never really thought about it too much. But when people ask me how I made the leap from from uh, the fire service to or from from playing in, in music to fire service, I say I was a fire service very punk rock profession. You show up every day, you hang out with your friends, you, you tell some bad jokes and you get the chance to do something good. I was like, so I thought it was actually very similar, you know, going to the fire station, staying for 24 hours, very much like being on tour. But looking at the, the, the negative sides, the part that people don't think about a lot in the fire service is very similar in music as well. That's a great observation.
0: So you mentioned about being in great shape. Tell me about your kind of athletics as a young man and you know, leading up to the band time.
1: So, so that's kind of interesting as well. I, I played soccer. You know, everybody, everybody go back to, to my parents um, shaking their head at me all the time. Started off playing T-ball. That was great. And then uh, when that moved to baseball, decided I did not like objects being hurtled at me very fast um, and uh, didn't, didn't like playing baseball. But my dad once again says, well, you signed up for it. We bought the cleats. We paid the money. You're going to stick with it through the entire season. So I went out and picked daisies in the outfield. But I showed up every day and did my practice. My dad taught me that lesson. Um, if you're going to say you're going to do something, you're going to do it, um, which again goes back to just having some awesome parents. But uh, but after that, I got into soccer, and uh, and I really liked soccer, and I thought I thought it was a great sport, football for uh, for for you, my friend. Um, <laughs> but uh, but really really got into soccer and, and and loved it for a while, and then you know at some point transitioning out, doing different stuff. I, I don't know if it was you know the exact time period, but I quit playing, and uh, you know I remember. Uh, getting into lifting weights, I think when I was about 12 or 13 years old, my, my dad had a had a weight set. And I remember, you know, my dad was a mountain of a man, five foot seven, about 128 pounds. But I remember watching him curl and him have this just, you know, working man's muscle, like, you know, a guy that twisted wrenches. It just had this this muscle. And I was like, man, I want to be like my dad. So that's why I started working out. And, uh, you know, again, my parents supported me when there was an old school bodybuilding gym in lakeland and uh you know i started going there from from 14 under the tutelage of some massive guys you know really 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 good uh you know guys that had really lifelong passions for bodybuilding you know i remember george teaching me how to squat butt naked in the in the locker room i'll never get that vision out of my head but i know (laughs) how to i know how to squat because of it um you know and guys that were just willing to help the younger generation out you know it wasn't an ego thing wasn't whatever they're willing to help and so you know, I started working there and doing doing some little training stuff and cleaning up around the gym and, uh, you know, fast forward, you know, getting to getting to punk rock, getting to stuff like that. Working out isn't as cool, you know, and, and I, and I kind of moved out of it a little bit. Um, but the thing, you know, my, my history in athletics that, that I really, you know, felt like um, it really kind of started for me and it really started clicking was about the time uh, I got out of high school. My buddy Gabe Beal came back from college first year with a, with a VHS tape of the UFC. And, uh, I remember he was just started training this art I had never heard of before called Jitsu. And, uh, and he came down and, uh, we had these tape and, 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 you know, we we're watching it. And I mean, this is a guy, he wrestled in high school, he was fourth in the state. And I still thought I could, I could have kicked his butt all through high school. I was confident of it. Um, I actually didn't wrestle. That's my biggest regret in life was not wrestling. Uh, because instead I got my nipples pierced and that's not really a good thing to wrestle with. So <laughs> I didn't again, realize I was really punk. one or the other. <laughs> I was really punk rock. So if I if I could go back, I would not have deformed nipples and I would have wrestled. But I remember having this delusion that 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 you're six two, one seventy-one, I could whoop you, bro, no big deal. And he came back and he literally just decimated the entire like group of friends, like, you know, with ease because he had trained. And that's when it really clicked for me. I was like, I need this in my life because it was one of the first things that I that I'd set out to do that. I wasn't just just good at naturally because no one's good at jujitsu naturally. And that's when I really, really kind of fell in love with that, that steady grind to improve. And so before I started touring heavily, um, I was training BJJ five, six days a week. I was looking at wanting to train to fight. So I was doing Valley Tudo and MMA and all this stuff. And I was in really good shape. And, uh, and that's kind of where that basis came from. So I had that kind of bodybuilding background where I kind of like to lift weights, but getting kind of focused and funneled into, into jujitsu and into MMA is really when I think it really kind of, a lot of things clicked for me in terms of like athleticism, but nothing else, if nothing, I mean, but, but specifically a growth mindset, you know, there's no more to me just growth mindset in the flesh than, than showing up every day to BJJ, knowing you're going to get handled and you got to come back for more if you ever want to do the handling. And I think that was just a real, a real pivotal turning point for me. And unfortunately spending years on the road, you kind of undo a lot of that.
0: Absolutely. Well, then lead me through the transition from music to the fire service.
1: You know, it's really funny, man. It all kind of comes back full circle. When I got done touring, I always said I was going to play music for as long as it made me happy. There was no in-game there. You know, I wasn't making a living. I wasn't in a bus. I was in a van sleeping on couches, eating cold ramen, coming back, staying at my parents for a couple weeks till we left again. And, uh, you know, I always said when I'm when I'm done, when I'm not happy anymore, that's it. And, uh, man, I remember, you know, I, I did it for probably a little too long, but I remember being on my last tour, sitting there reading, reading a book on Bundy or, or something, man, behind the merch table, just, just looking at kids getting younger as I'm getting older. And I just went, you know what, man, this isn't for me anymore. And so when I came back, you know, when I got home, I was, I was kind of lost. You know, it was one of those things like, what are you going to do? And, uh, the one thing I had to go back to was BJJ and, uh, I started going back training full time, started coaching again, um, you know, doing, doing some stuff like that. And, uh, there was a guy there, man, that I just got, you know, just, just connected with eventually. He actually threatened to beat me up for not eating his Buffalo shrimp at Hooters one night at a fight, um, which is actually kind of funny how food comes into play. But, um, he was a firefighter. And after two years of training with this guy, hanging out with this guy, becoming friends with this guy, seeing his passion for the job, um, seeing what it was about to him, what it meant to him. I mean, the guy has a, a probably a a, 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 he's a huge guy. So he has a Maltese cross and, and a set of irons tattooed on his back, it's probably, you know, 18 inches tall. I mean, he, he lived the, lived the dream, lived, lived the life, seeing him be so passionate about it and hanging out so much with the man. I started asking questions about it. And, uh, you know, it, it was, it was him. It was, it was, it was my brother PJ that really, you know, um, Taught me what what the job was really about. Hey, man, this isn't this isn't just a 24, 48 weekends off party time thing. This is what it means. This is what the culture is. This is what the brotherhood's about. This is what you're risking. This is what you need to do to be good at it. All of these things, man, it was kind of like under his wing. I mean, I mean, you know, I I wore his helmet through the same fire academy he went to with some of the same instructors he went to. You know, he is the one that kind of brought me into it. And, uh, you know, that's when I kind of, you know, the more I heard about it, like I said earlier, the more I realized it was kind of very much in line with who I was, you know, I want to hang out. I want to have a good time. I want to do something that's, that's helping people. I want to do something that's bigger than myself, man. And I think that's where I kind of translated a little bit to music. And this was just kind of, to me, as weird as it seems, as diametric opposites as it looks like on paper, to me, it seemed like a natural transition, you know, having him as a frame of reference.
0: Beautiful. Well, how was uh, Hillsborough's Academy with you having a background of bodybuilding and jujitsu? Did you did you do pretty well?
1: So so, Florida and I don't know like like so, I had to go through Ridge, which was where I got my license first, or my, not my license. I got my my minimum standards, and uh, it was funny because yeah, coming out of jiu-jitsu at the time, I was maybe like one eighty, and uh, and I was in really 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 decent shape. And it's one of those things where uh, getting through the academy wasn't wasn't a challenge physically um, in in that regard. And I definitely credit that to uh, to, um, you know, again, staying focused on that mm-hmm. when I got through because um, I went through EMT, then fire, then did my year of medic before I got hired. So when I got hired with Hillsboro, unfortunately, I had uh, fallen into a different kind of uh, mindset. Uh, I got really caught up in the seventies, big, uh, movement that was popular with no one. Um, but, uh, but there was a couple guys that were really, really big proponents on getting big. Like the guys in the seventies were like seventies lifters, like Casmire and all this stuff. But, uh, but so I had made a push to get over 200 pounds for the first time in my life. And, uh, I got over it all right, but it wasn't, it wasn't really a good 200. So when I got into Hillsboro and got into their suppression orientation, um, fortunately for me, not fortunately for the, uh, the, the rest of the group, but they had kind of changed their standards a little bit. Instead of doing all the running and stuff like that, it was a lot more fire ground focused. And I felt I felt comfortable on, on the time, but getting hired was kind of the beginning of my of my decline, I guess you could say. Um, that's when I kind of, you know, again, your probationary year, so you can't get hurt, so I wasn't doing jiu-jitsu. Um, you know, sleepless nights, are you going to push through and lift? Are you going to take a nap? All these kind of considerations and choices, sitting around that firehouse table, eating your feels on your shifts off, that was really, I think, kind of the decline. Medic set me up for a good fall, but but getting on actually kind of pushed me a little bit forward.
0: Right, so then walk me through that, that physical decline, because I mean, you know, if you were coming out of a fight gym and bodybuilding obviously you were in pretty good shape by that point and that's that's one thing that i've talked about a lot i think what's scary about specifically talking lifespan is you know we're always told that we die about five years after retirement and you know that seems to be across the board agreed by everyone i speak to but i think what's not understood is that that you know 12 years younger than the average civilian that's actually kind of skewed because these men and women that are standing on the diamond on the first day of orientation, especially if they've, as you did, you know, come straight through, um, you know, fire school and have worked towards earning that position. They're probably some of the most physically and, and mentally resilient men and women. So. It's so, so sad to see that that rapid decline that we do in fire and police and corrections and and even dispatch, you know. So what was your personal journey like as far as observing your own your own health through your career?
1: It's it's really interesting you mention that because it's kind of like a, a lot like a first date, right? That, that may very well be the best you ever see that person, the, 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 best, the, the best face they're going to put on, the best impression they're going to try to give, their best, you know, selling themselves. And, you know, when you get in the academy, especially in a state like Florida, where there's maybe 800 applicants for a job, at least that's what it was. You know, I think, I think in my hiring group, I think they took on 15 and I think there was over 500 applicants for it. So you really are trying to be your competitive best. My issue, I think, is the issue that many of us face. It's, it's, it's a twofold kind of situation. It's one, it won't happen to me. Um, and two, we're so good at rationalizing our choices and rewriting the narrative to fit where we are rather than remain objective with ourselves. Because I transitioned that that fight training and that bodybuilding training right into that 70s big mindset of, well, I'm strong, so I'm good. I'm powerlifting, so so I'm fine. My deadlift is X, Y, and Z, you know. So of course I'm 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 task ready. Cardio's for for you know for 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 idiots. I don't want really to do that stuff, man. I'm not I'm not that guy. Running stupid. I was able to rewrite this narrative, and and be able to just just redefine everything to where I was doing the right thing. I mean, I remember in in medic orientation. We had a guy, David Bineschender, uh, Schindler, he's a city of Tampa guy, um, but he would tourniquet his arm and all these veins popped out. And I was like, man, dude, that guy's lean. And then I'd look at my arm and I couldn't, I couldn't find a vein to save, save my life. And that's when um, the phrase deep veins came out. And I was like, that's it. I'm just, I'm just genetically not vascular. I just have deep veins. No, man, you're just, you're just fat, dude. You know? And and I had the ability to tell myself, well, no, man, this is this is a power belly. I look great. I don't want to look like a lean, you know, whatever guy. I'm I wanna be a strong power lifter. I'm 70s big. And man, if you tell yourself something enough times, you you start believing it. And I think that's the worst thing is is believing your own hype or believing your own lies or just reframing your narrative. And man, that's what I did. I, I told myself that that well, I'm doing X, Y, and Z and, and I'm I'm moving through this system and I'm powerlifting every day with my, with my buddy on the job and we're doing awesome stuff and our lifts are going up and we did the Dan John 30 deadlift challenge. Look how great I am. And, uh, you know, man, I think it's a, it's a dangerous double-sided sword because you know, who's telling you you're wrong. You know, everybody else in the fire service is going, man, I wish I could work out like you do because they're sedentary. You know, and it's like you start comparing yourself, you know, wh- what is it, the, the quote, you are the, the, the five people you spend the most time with? Well, you know, I was in bigger houses and I would look around and I was like, I'm not doing so bad. That's not always the case. Maybe you're just kind of in a, in a room that's not good for you. And uh, I think it's just really easy to fall into that trap of thinking you're doing the right things, engaging in that confirmation bias surrounding yourself with people that feel the same way, getting that echo chamber going. And the next thing you know, man, I was on a rapid path to becoming one of those statistics.
0: Yeah. And that's a, that's such a great way of looking at it because, um, you know, I think if you, I love that philosophy, you know, never be the smartest person in the room, which has not been a challenge for me ever. <laughs> but, <laughs> but it's, I like that philosophy. It's the same with jujitsu. It's the same with CrossFit. You know, there are so many people that i train with in all those arenas that just smash me, either literally or, you know, um, when it comes to working out alongside them or, you know, what they lift. But, you know, you should always be chasing that. And the same with, you know, fire ground skills. You know, you want to be with the guy who's great with ropes, you know, the, the, the female firefighter who's amazing with, you know, through the lock or forceful entry or, you know, whatever it is. And if you are with that group, that's perfectly fine watching eight Jerry Springer, you know, reruns through a shift. <laughs> then you, you, you couldn't have you know, said it more perfectly. You are in a very detrimental echo chamber, and you either A need to be the the spark plug that raises your crew up, or it might be a good warning sign to seek out a more passionate, aggressive crew to be amongst.
1: You know absolutely and and, and the thing is, you know it, 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 you know I say it was a gradual decline, but I, I definitely uh exceeded the average there, <laughs> like I said, in fire standard I was 180 pounds. Flash forward two years later, I'd pushed over 200. But the next five years, man, that, that weight came on quick. Once I got over 200, getting up to 240, it didn't seem to take much effort. And, uh, you know, again, the, the station, I, I busted my butt. I got to our special ops program, um, Station 11. We were cross trained heavy rescue and hazmat, um, as well as medical special ops. And I got there within two years and uh and that was really my focus man tools trucks and training how can we be the best on the job and how could be the best at our skills and how do be the best at this but it wasn't you know complete because i wasn't being the best version of myself you know and and there were times you know, showing up man i look back i'm like man was i an asset or a liability uh, you know was i was i was i doing the public a favor was i was i you know actually maybe putting someone at risk by not being able to to do this stuff. And we work with guys now, you know, that are from major metropolitan departments and they're, you know, hiking stairs every day, doing stuff to train for it, man. And I'm like, bro, I was glad I lived in a rural apartment because if you put me on some stairs, I knew I wasn't going to be able to climb 20, 30 flights. And, uh, man, that's just, that's just sad that you can think, Hey man, my extrication skills are X, Y, and Z, or, or, or look at how I can shore up a collapse or, or look at my hall system. But you don't look at yourself. And, you know, I think I think, you know, having been there and done that and got the extra large T-shirt to show for it, it it really kind of makes me realize that, man, that's how that happens. You you believe you're doing the right things because anything that questions or challenges that you rationalize away or you turn away from it. And uh, at least that's my experience. You know, I remember, um, you know, I kind of tell this story often, but the house my wife and I lived in at the time when I was on the job. I had a big mirror over the two sinks in front of us that we get ready at, and on my side there was a little medicine cabinet on the side. And I remember looking at it every day, blaming my parents for these crappy genetics that I had a weak profile. No, man, that was just a goozle. That was just a you know an extra pound or two of fat that hung around my neck, giving me sleep apnea and all these other problems. But I blamed it on my genetics. You know, I I, I took the easy way out. Um, you know, dang you parents. The, the best people in my lives, why couldn't you have better genes? Well, you know, I mean, why couldn't I put more effort in? And I think that's finally what it, what it took realizing.
0: Yeah. That's an interesting observation. There was a guy I worked with in my last place and he would be the guy, you know, just rolling his eyes. We do rep- wellness presentations. So, you know, at the time it's since been dismantled, but, um, you know, we had a group of people that were doing some really good, um, you know, station visits and doing lifting techniques and sa- sleds and sandbags and, you know, principles. So I would do one on sleep or on nutrition or something, but not this is how you should eat. But this is, you know, this is the things that the shift work is doing to you. Here's, you know, processed foods, here's dirty meats, you know, and that kind of basic thing. But he would be the one that, you know, be making snide remarks, you know, just, just not participating at all. Well, he goes and has a heart attack. After telling me that, you know, obesity is genetic, 70% of obesity is genetic. And I'm like, oh, I'm 100% sure that your math is fucking awful, but whatever. <laughs> um, there's your statistic from me. But, uh, <laughs> anyway, sure as shit, scares the hell out of him and turns the way, you know, turns around his exercise, his nutrition, loses a bunch of weight, and then becomes an advocate for those same things. So it's amazing. And again, it's not ridiculing him, but it's a very important story to tell. It's amazing how um people can be, you know, led to believe these ridiculous fallacies because this is the generation we grew up in. This is why everyone's screaming for a vaccination and no one wants to talk about exercise and nutrition at the moment because exercise and nutrition takes effort. Vaccination I show up, they stick a needle in my arm I'm like, hey, "Hey, I'm not going to get COVID anymore." Sweet. That took zero fucking effort. So, yeah, I mean it that's just it. The 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 fallacy that all these things are genetic, you know, Type 1 diabetes in a, in a child, it's hard to argue that isn't something to do with, you know, the genes. But type 2 diabetes in a 35-year-old firefighter, completely different.
1: Absolutely. And I, I really think you, you nailed it right there. As long as someone is willing to look for an easy way out, there will be someone willing to sell it to you. And I think that's the, I think that's the position we're in where, you know, it's, it's everybody wants everything. Now, listen. I'm right there with you. Me too. You know, you, you you didn't get jacked as quick as you wanted to. We just start a club. You're not as wealthy as you want to be overnight, man. Me either. Let's 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 band together and demand it. And that's just not really how life works. Um, you know, anything I've ever accomplished in life that's been worth doing has came at the result of a struggle. And I think what people need to really wrap their heads around is it's never really the end result that's worth the effort, but instead it's the person that you become through that struggle. That's the actual goal. Like, like BJJ, you know, it's never the belt. It's never the stripe. It's, it's never the promotion. It's who you had to become to put your key in the ignition. All those days you didn't want to go get beat up on, um, you know, who who you had to be to, to sit there and, and, and literally you when coach says you're going to roll 10, 10s, not walk out the back. You know, that's the what the reward is. You know, go karate kid, belt holds up your pants. Um, it's never the belt that matters. Here, take mine. I don't care. It's who did you have to become in order to be worthy of achieving that result? And I think people miss that. They think that happiness comes with X, Y, or Z. Happiness comes with a million dollars. Happiness comes with, you know, uh, uh, an 18-inch bicep. Happiness comes with fitting in a size two pants. No. Happiness comes right now. And if you're not happy now, you can't expect to be then. But part of that true happiness isn't just being entertained, it's being aware. It's 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 being objective with, with where you're at and being able to analyze these things and being able to be a part of improving, a part of growth, a part of that autonomous decision to improve. And And I think that is missed so much in this day and age where everything is instant and disposable. And I just feel feel fortunate to have been kind of – have those values and work ethic instilled in me that, man, nothing comes easy. Just just get to work at it. That's all you got to do is get to work at it.
0: Absolutely. And I think the other thing is that the phrase you hear a lot is, well, it's easy for you. If someone saw you now, they'd be like, well, it's easy for you.
1: Must be nice.
0: Yeah. You know what I mean? And I get that. But people understand when you're built like a toothpick to become – go in the fire service, that's a lot of work that goes in. No, I do. I have to you know fight – Constant weight gain? No, partly because I eat well, but you know I'm definitely more of an ectomorph. However, those type of body types have to work their ass off to be strong enough. So where you're, you know, deadlifting 600, I'm fighting to even, you know, scrape 350, 360. You know what I mean? So we've got the same exact challenges, the same battles. You know, when I'm in jujitsu, like if I'm in Muay Thai, you know, I'm good because I'm bony, I can, you know, slice yoga with my elbows. But if I'm in jujitsu, that long skinny frame. I get sat on a lot because you know, I don't weigh very much so it's
1: you know you're nailing it here man genetics can do a couple things there's two ways that I've heard that that, that kind of like this, the way it goes down and they say one is genetics loads the gun but you control the aim and two what I really like is you can't always control the hand you're dealt but you always have a decision in how you play it you can even pick those cards up and go to another table if you want and and I think that's what people don't understand is circumstances are going to occur you can't control them, but you can always control your response. And, and that's all you can go is, man, you know, I had to, I had to understand I am, I am five foot 10 completely, completely, you know, average. There's nothing stand out about me. Um, you know, my vertical jump is horrible. Um, and I had to give up those dreams of being in the NBA, you know, I, Hey man, it wasn't in the cards for me, but that doesn't stop me from being good at anything else. You know, and, and I think that whole excuse is, oh, man, my genetics, my genetics, my genetics. No, man, it's your lack of effort. It's your lack of purpose. It's your lack of drive. Do genetics play a factor in all of our lives? Yeah. Once again, your frame, my frame, neither of us are six foot four. You know, we're not going to be the mountain. We're not six, seven, six, eight. We're probably not going to win world's strongest man. And that's OK. We don't have to. What can we do? What can we improve at? What do we enjoy? What can we excel at? What, what can we just do because we want to do it? Find those things. Don't worry about the things that you'll never be. Worry about the things you can be and worry about getting better. And as long as we wake up every day with that mindset, I bet after time we're going to be okay. I mean, I really was 240 pounds of, of just, you know, not, not a good 240 on, on a rapid decline with health. But if you ask me that day, I'll tell you, man. My before photo that I post all the time, um, man. I thought I thought Michelangelo carved David after me. I, I was dieting. <laughs> I had a vein in my bicep. I thought I looked awesome. There was nothing you can do that's going to improve me. I'm the man. Man, was I wrong? <laughs> I should not have believed that hype. I should have been a little bit more objective about where I was.
0: Yeah. No. Absolutely. And that's a great analogy with the World's Strongest Man. It's like you know my focus used to be. Looking at other people, and I realized actually the answer was to be the world's strongest James, you know, the best really? version of yourself. Because you, it doesn't matter what people do in the other lanes. You know, there's always going to be someone who's, you know, like you said, whose genetics or or whatever might gear them towards it. But then you go see, you know, a five foot six NBA star that's just crushing it, or you know, an amputee that's just you know out running quote unquote able-bodied people and then then you see that redefined too so then you know yes there's a factor but yeah, but then there's people that that look that as a challenge and go i don't care what you tell me my genetics are i'm still going to go and crush this because i'm passionate about doing it
1: you know absolutely man and i and and i'm i'm a big fan of trying to give proper attribution when it comes to quotes and and i could get this one wrong i want to say it was voltaire that said comparison is the thief of joy um if i'm way off base on that one that's okay a coffee hasn't kicked in yet um, I think it
0: was but, Justin Bieber, actually, but go on. You know, man, it, it was either him <laughs> or Abe
1: Lincoln. Um, I, I think that's who everybody gets attributed to. But, you know, it's so true, man. And, and quit worrying about the comparisons, man. Quit worrying about it because, one, you're not them. Two, you're looking at their after. You're not looking at their before. Are you willing to put in the hours, years, decades of mastery it took to get there? And then even on top of that, all you got to do is be better than who you were yesterday. You look in the mirror, and that's who you got to improve on. And as long as you keep doing that, if you fall in love with that process, let those results become the byproduct. I promise, one, two, three, four, five years from now, you're going to love what you see in that mirror. But you got to keep showing up.
0: Absolutely. Well, you mentioned your wife, so I just want to backtrack for a moment. So you guys met during paramedic school, is that right? The paramedic testing process.
1: We uh, we met during uh yeah during paramedic orientation. So Hillsborough County. Um, you start off in suppression orientation and depending on what, what level you got hired at, did you get hired as a firefighter or a fire medic or a fire trainee or whatever it was, eventually they'll bring you off the road, they'll put you in a little mini condensed paramedic school, and then they'll let you get your rescue hours in. And so my wife and I got pulled off at the street on, on the same time to go into paramedic orientation. And that's where we met. Um, I remember sitting there next to, next to one of the guys I went to medic school with, Angelo. And uh, we're both sitting there at our desk because we got there nice and early, like you're supposed to do. And uh, in walks uh, this woman, you know, this this gorgeous, you know, radiant beauty walks in in a Hillsborough County uniform, holding a uh, plastic Publix gallon of water, gallon jug that matched mine that was sitting right on my desk. And uh, man, that was all it took for me. I was like, I was like, that that that's the one. And of course, my buddy Angela goes, No, no, man, that's that's the one for me. And I was like, No, no, buddy, we're gonna see how this ends. And, uh, <laughs> And man, that was it. You know that that's all it took. Uh, put, laid my eyes on her. She walked in, and uh, you know, fortunately, she liked what she saw, which is hard to imagine because we were growing mustaches for rescue orientation. Um, and I and I've got the uh, reddest, craziest, uh, burliest, you know, uh, mustache, Sergeant Slaughter style you've ever seen. And she still she still manages to speak to me with that thing. But uh, but fortunately, the mustache didn't uh, didn't do us in. But yeah, man, that was it. She walked into medic orientation and, uh, and basically, uh, you know, a couple, maybe a week, a couple days later, um, you know, we were we were we were dating and, and, and the rest is kind of history.
0: Beautiful. Well, you mentioned that she had found herself kind of deconditioned, too. So let's kind of talk about the upswing now. So, um, you know, when was that aha moment and when did you start immersing yourself in what you would define as, you know, the, the healthy way of working out and eating?
1: So, you know, it's, it's, it's funny because I remember like when we first got together, she was, uh, she was bodybuilding, um, you know, training really hard and, uh, you know, for whatever reason, uh, paramedic orientation in Hillsborough County is, is a little bit tough. They put you on the, on the rescue for 1,944 hours straight before you can test. And we were both on really busy units. And, uh, you know, I thought I was just tired getting off shift You know I would literally sit home and, uh, and stare at the walls, watch paint dry. Um, you know, and I thought I was tired from work. I thought I was tired for powerlifting. I thought I was just getting run down. And I let that go on for, for you know, a good long while, um, you know, for, for, for a year or so. And, uh, you know, we had a service called LifeScan offered. I don't know if you're familiar with it, but it's really comprehensive medical screening. It's
0: excellent.
1: Um, yeah, they ultrasound your organs. They, they do physical conditioning tests or whatever. Well, they had found out that, you know, again, thyroids are going. So I'm getting I'm getting wonky thyroid readings, blood pressure's elevating, all this stuff. So you know what do I do? I ignore it for another year, and uh, come back. It's getting worse. So well I think okay cool. Now I've got it. Now I've got an answer here. It's my thyroid. Of course it is. So you know I start taking the Synthroid, start taking the medications, and wait a year. And nothing's happened, and this whole time I'm gradually getting worse. Uh, you know, and it, it, it's funny because I look back, and it's 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 so. Like, I want to just reach through and through time and slap myself like, hey, man, how did not you see this was going on? And and the reason is all the reasons I gave you, man. We're just in denial. When I actually started training, and again, this whole time, I think I'm doing it right. I mean, I'm following the books. I'm reading the diet advice. I'm, I'm doing the no carb. I'm doing the carb backloading. I'm doing the IF. I'm doing every protocol you can think of, except accurately tracking my intake. Um, and I'm watching the scale go up, but Hey, my lifts are going up and cool. I'm going to put some weight on. I'm doing everything I think is right. And then finally, um, you know, I actually read an interview of a, of a training coach who he basically dismantled, like, like just tore apart the guy I was following diet wise. And I said, all right, you got to be my coach because he was just so savage about it. I said, I said, I want to work with you. And when I started working with his group which offered uh, coaching and nutrition. I wanted to get stronger and faster. Like this is when I was like, Hey, I want to be a big guy that can run. Guy hadn't ran I hadn't ran, you know, much at all. Uh, maybe a five K, uh, at Disney with my wife just approved to to her father. I could move my, my big butt for three <laughs> miles. Um, but I decided all that mattered to me was getting stronger and faster. Again, I thought Michelangelo carved David after me at this point. I didn't think I was going to get any better. And it's funny looking back. It's like what I should have been doing was please save my life. I was like, make me stronger, you know, make make me run fast. That's not what I needed to focus on. The, the byproduct of actually having direction, actually having objective people call the shots for me was everything changed Mm -hmm. and everything improved. And, and my wife actually started with the same coach at the same time. And that was the same outcome for her. It's like, I remember um, my coach sending me like a 24 week progress photo, my, my, my first photo and my second photo. And I was like, that's not me. And he's like, yeah, man, that's you. And I was like, you gotta be kidding me because I went, didn't even notice the progress I was making because I was just showing up doing the work. And Literally all the genetic excuses I had had the deep veins the the weak profile It was all gone and in front of me was a guy who you know Finally looked like he worked out what I've been doing my whole life for 20 years prior to this leading up to it Finally looked like that the, the output matched the input and it was because I got out of my own way I got out of my own head. It didn't matter. I mean, it's funny because I, I, I Talked to my coach at the time and I said hey, man, I said if I drop below 200 pounds, you're fired, dude. I was like I'll no longer be an adult male because that was the uh that was the the 70s big demarcation line was 200 pounds. And he wrote me back and he just goes, "I'm sorry, you're fat." And that was his that was his answer for me. And it was like, "Dang, dude, you know how are you going to talk to me like that?" But it was the truth. It's what I needed to hear. And I don't speak to people that way. Um it's not necessarily anything I would recommend. But at the same time, fortunately, for whatever reason, maybe it wasn't the right reason, but I got out of my own way. And I was no longer the one responsible for crafting the narrative. I was the one no longer responsible for for trying to evaluate the change and and trying to to, to pick the plan. I let somebody else call the shots. And suddenly all the progress I've been wanting my entire life was achieved. And I, I just think that that that's the thing I look back on is like, so you wanted to be stronger and faster. And instead of, of those two things, which I got, mm-hmm. I got so much more, you know, reverse so many, just, just completely changed the path I was on. And, uh, man, it, it was just such a, a opening experience. You know, when I saw those photos and I was like, man, I was on my way to be that statistic. And it wasn't until after, like I had made the change that I realized where I was heading. And that was like a really profound moment for me. Like, wow, what? what could happen? What was I doing to myself? What was, what was I doing to my wife, you know, setting her up for that, that, that early loss or whatever it was. So it was really kind of a powerful, a powerful thing for me.
0: Thank you for, for telling that, that story. The, um, yeah, I think people need to hear that, you know, especially when they see someone like yourself, that's you know, in great, great shape now, That that you weren't just like before and after, because that's, that's a, a misnomer too. Like here's where I was, but here I am now. Okay. It's that easy. When obviously, you know, the, the journey was like you said, it was, it was patience. It was diligence. It was discipline. But you mentioned at the beginning of the conversation about thyroid. And that's another, in my opinion, you know, fallacy that most people are told. Of course, again, there's the genetic few, but I think it's, it's a very small amount. But, Oh, I've got it. You know, it's my thyroid. And it's, and it's like, well, it's not that you are eating like shit. It's just your thyroid and, and you're eating, you know, extremely clean. And, the, and it's a, you know, it's, it's so heartbreaking because now people have been given an excuse, like, you know, just like the genetics. Well, my thyroid is not right. So therefore I'm gaining all this weight with your own personal journey. Were you able to remove that thyroid medicine once you changed the way you ate and exercise?
1: So it's interesting because, um, what you said there is is very very true um using anything as an excuse right it's like here's the cards you're dealt doesn't define how you can play them Um, i had a physician that kept wanting to stack milligrams on milligrams of synthroid on synthroid and synthroid on synthroid synthroid. and it didn't ever change my levels give me more meds didn't change my levels give me more meds didn't change my levels Until finally, I was like, listen, this isn't working for me. I got to go find something else. I got to go find another, another whatever. And that's when I started looking at different options for medicine, looking at different options for whatever. And you've got your desiccated, you know, hormones, you've got this and that hormones. But at the end of the day, what it comes down to is if you've normalized your levels and nothing's changed, the thyroid isn't your issue. It could be impacting something but once it's normalized then what's your excuse and i think that's the problem people think they're going to take a pill and it's going to fix stuff you know we can talk about hyper and uh, hypothyroidism we can talk about how they impact metabolism but first we need to have a conversation about what metabolism is right metabolism isn't a thing it's not a button you could put your finger on it's a summation of 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 processes building anabolism and tearing down catabolism and you know I'm, I'm no, I'm no rocket surgeon here. You know, I, I got an EMS degree. Um, I've read some textbooks on this stuff, so I'm not an expert, but what I could tell you is it's inputs and outputs. And maybe your hormonal profile impacts those inputs and outputs. It absolutely does. But at the same time, you still can control how that hands dealt. So if you're gaining weight, it's not because your metabolism's slow. It's because you're not, Breaking down as much as you're building up, right? It's that. It's that. It's that kind of simple. So we can say that, yeah, man, you know, if you're hypothyroid, you're gonna you're gonna have a, a burn a little bit less calories per day, which could lead to weight gain if you don't change your diet. We could say that if you're hyper, you're gonna you're gonna lose weight if you don't change your diet. But the factor everybody wants to miss is the change your diet aspect. That's where we need to focus a little bit more than, than what the pharmacist gives us. So, so to answer your question, I am actually on a way different medication. Um, it's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a, a natural whatever at a exponentially decreased dose from what my levothyroxin was. And all it does is make sure my thyroid levels are within normal limits. Now, this is after losing – I mean, I, I woke up this morning, I weighed 192. So, so, or one ninety three point four. I don't want to give out a miss, a misfact. fact. So you're talking about close to a 50 pound weight loss. Um, most, if not all of which was, was adipose tissue, which does actually impact your, your hormonal things. So even after making that massive of a change, um, and we've, we've, we've taken thyroid medication off, we put it back on, we've adjusted doses. I have a really great physician now out here in Vero beach, um, who's really aware and her, her entire philosophy is minimum effective dose, not, give you everything I can to get a green light. And even then, even after making those changes, shift work got me, man. Uh, you know, it's one of those things where like, you know, there's some lasting impacts from it. And, uh, the hope is always, you know, every, every six months, see what your blood says. Maybe you can reduce a little bit, maybe you can take some off. But for me, for now, it's all about how do I feel? How do I perform? And I haven't been able to get normal, um, not even just normal levels on lab work, but normal feeling when it comes to like brain fog, energy level, stuff like that, without having supplemental med- um, uh, medication. So my thoughts are go to a physician, but at the same time, make sure that physician is treating the patient, not the monitor. You know, someone's got to be looking at you as a whole, not just checking off a box. But unfortunately, this is a whole nother, a whole nother can of worms. Uh, my, wife's, uh, my wife's father is a physician, so we have these talks all the time comes down to how much time is your doctor allowed to spend with you once a year what's his what's his best case scenario get you to change your lifestyle eat right exercise move more or take this pill so i think a lot of times docs find themselves in a really 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 bad spot and it's just because man i want to try to save as many people as i can but i get 15 minutes with you once a year and I think that's where we have to take some responsibility on our own. That personal accountability, I think, is lacking, and find out what can I do to help this along, and maybe not rely on on a magic bullet to fix everything.
0: Yeah, no, and it's absolutely a double pronged attack, and I couldn't agree more. And I talk about this a lot. You got the ownership, you know, our own ownership, and it's very easy to sling that rock at people. Like, well, you're fat because you don't work out, you don't eat right. But then you've got to look at the environment, you know, and that's the thing that I, I agree completely. The physicians are set up for failure, I think, in this, you know, quote unquote healthcare, aka disease management system that we have. Right. Um, because they're, they're not able to, to be a holistic physician. So that then sets the population up for failure too, where they end up believing that it's their thyroid and they never address all the other elements that could actually completely nullify that issue. But yeah, with the high, with the thyroid element, I mean, you do have different body types. You know, uh, the person who wins World's Strongest Man is probably not a retired Russian gymnast. You know, we're all different shapes and sizes. And we do have, you know, like you said, hyper or hypothyroids. But that's the way the body's supposed to be. That's match- matching your actual body type. And I agree with you completely. There are definitely some, some pretty horrendous effects from shift work. And one of the, my previous guests just... Um, introduced me to a term circadian scarring where you know it literally imprints so we're we're working uphill to reverse some of the damage but that should be the last go-to the first thing should be are you sleeping are you exercising are you eating right but the moment you let someone believe that they're a victim Oh, you've got this because your thyroid's not behaving well, what is your thyroid? like you said it's a you know it's a gland, it's hormones, so if you're not sleeping and allowing the master glands to actually rest and recuperate and you're not feeding them with the right nutrition and you're not getting the blood pumping, then you know again you're putting a band aid on a symptom, so that 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 thyroid element i mean it's interesting you know what you said because you're one of the few people I've heard that, that are in great shape that understand the the wellness component, not the fitness component. Um, that is still a needing to take a, a medication. But as you alluded to, that may well be, sadly, a symptom of, you know, the, the music life maybe and then the shift work in the fire service as well.
1: You know, and, and, and like you said, man, sometimes you reap what you sow. You know, I, I am fortunate. I have, uh, from, from gaining weight really fast, I have some stretch marks on my back. But I did not get to the point where I surpassed the elasticity level of my skin which is really surprising because I had zero gauges in my ears and they haven't closed up and they've been gone for, mm-hmm. for 13 years. Um, but so I don't have, you know, loose skin that I have to worry about. You know, I, I, dodge that bullet, but sometimes, you know, we reap what we sow there, there, there are changes that we've made. There are lines we've crossed that we can't just easily reverse. And those are those scars we carry with us. Right. And, you know, you're right, man. I mean, you know, it's not that I've had a hard life, you know, in air quotes. But I mean, you look at the amount of sleepless nights I've stacked up, um, you know, you look at now, I don't get as much sleep as I would love to get because, uh, you know, I like to spend some time with my wife. I like to wake up and, and, and watch the sunrise. And, uh, you know, those two don't always give me all the eight to nine hours I wish I could get. And those are choices that we have to make. But you look at all those things that stack up and, yeah, man, you, you may, you know, I may, have uh, have done some damage that that I can't just easily reverse this 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 thyroid issue this may be something I either have to one accept the outcomes of and deal with being a little sluggish and try to to work through that or I may be on this medication and I've got to balance out those risks versus rewards and I think I think that's it you know and this is why I think it's important like the sooner we can understand taking care of ourselves allowing ourselves to be our best so we can give our best to others Getting into a proactive culture as instead of a reactive culture, the sooner we can kind of make these shifts, you know, the sooner we can kind of convince people that, you know, hey, man, you're worth it. I think the better we can be. And we may not have all these facts. But like you said, man, the second you give somebody an excuse, most people are likely to take it. And uh, that's just that's just a sad, a sad commentary on on where we're at right now.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, again, I. I I would try and map out the entire landscape and of course, ownership is one part, but you talk about a, a group of men and women that are set up for failure. You take, you know, a 56 hour work week fire you know, firefighter, like when you see physiologically, when you learn from sleep medicine, from, you know, the functional medicine doctors, what that sleep deprivation alone does to the human body to to the rate of injury to the the weight gain the blood pressure diabetes the incidence of cancer you know the mental health challenges we are absolutely on an uphill uphill battle which is why i'm such an advocate for lowering the work week in the fire service but you know, you have to have the ownership. And there are many of us that despite being in this environment, still were able to keep ourselves healthy. Or as you, as you mentioned though, what we consider our baseline of healthy, which is still far below the health we would actually have if we weren't on shift. Um, but when you understand that you're in that environment and you empower yourself to, to not blame yourself. To not, to not have that, oh, you know, I used to be fit on the grinder and now I'm, you know, a piece of shit. No, that's not the case at all. Understand that you have been beat down, that you've been set up for failure in the environment that we work at the moment, but that you can overturn things. You can take control of your life again, but it, it's going to involve you know, pushing things in the the union side, pushing that work week, pushing the ability to take naps on shift, you know, pushing for a gym in your station, but also the sleep hygiene, the ownership, the nutrition choices when you get off shift as well.
1: You know, I think, I think that's it. That's it. And it, it, you know, just, just completely and succinctly sums it up, man. You may never be able to be the best. You may never be able to be even the best version of yourself. The second you decide you're going to put on a badge. And you're going to do the job. You may have eliminated the ability to to sleep, to rest, to recover, to mentally, to stress, all these things physically, emotionally. You may have now made a choice voluntarily to never be 100%. But that doesn't mean you can't always aim for 100%. And if you keep trying to absolutely maximize your potential, you're going to do so much better for yourself so much better for your family, so much better for your brothers and sisters, and so much better for the community than you will by throwing your hands up and saying, well, it's because I'm on shift. Well, it's because my thyroid. Well, it's because I'm stressed out. Well, it's because there's a pandemic. You can't control the circumstances, but you can always control your response, man. And that's why just find what you can do. Stop focusing on all the things you can't do. Maybe you can't do X, Y, and Z. Maybe you can't lift twice a day. Maybe you can't eat all organic. Maybe you can't sleep for nine hours a day. What can you do? Can you get 10 more minutes? Can you eat chicken once a week instead of just, you know, whatever drive through you're hitting? Can you cook at home once? You know, can you you do 10 air squats when you brush your teeth? Don't tell me you can't do anything to get better because you can't. That's a lie. That's a defeatist mentality. You have to find what you can do And then you have to execute it and then you have to continue to execute it. And that's really all it takes.
0: Beautiful. Well, obviously, you know, you you have a a hell of a life story and you have a a pretty solid background on the the coaching side as well. When did you make that shift from being a student of a trainer to actually you and your wife realizing that you were going to start coaching more and then even uh, formulate your own company?
1: So it's it's interesting. Um, you know, it's one of those things where when I kind of had that that epiphany, um, you know, wow, man, I, I was able to reverse this. It, it's not a fluke. It's not uh, a transient experience like this is something that I've owned. I, I've, I've done it. I'm maintaining it. I'm working towards it. I've done a couple different dieting phases. I've kind of seen how everything worked. I looked around at the guys at the firehouse table and, and they had watched me do my thing. They had watched me show up, you know, in, in, in terrible condition. They had watched me get worse over the years when I transferred to this station and they had watched me to reverse those years in, in what I consider a short amount of time. Nothing's ever quick enough for everybody else, but six, eight months to, to undo decades of damage I think is well worth it. And. As they saw me do this and make these changes, they did nothing other than ridicule me for for bringing my lunch and uh, and, and drinking diet soda. Um, you know, they did nothing but ridicule me. But they also got worse. And I went, man, someone should should help these guys. Someone should should be here to kind of you know be that change. You know, like I, I always say, you know, uh, the Mother Teresa quote, "Be the change you want to see in the world." Um, I, I think I actually misattributed that one, but that's okay. Oh, it's not a Blinken, I know that. But, you know, that whole be the change you want to see the world. I said someone someone should help these guys, man. Someone should help help the brothers, help the sisters and, and be here to let them know that, man, you, you don't have to keep doing it this way. And that's when the gears really started turning. So, uh, so the coach I was working with at the time, I expressed my interest to wanting to kind of, you know, work under him, you know, do some of the methods, you know, that, that he was advocating at the time. And uh, he basically said, go ahead, start. If you got any questions, let me know. And that was basically it. I dove in anybody that would that would, you know, let me help them help me. Uh, I started actually working for swaps. I started doing EOTs like, oh, I'll coach you for six months. If you if you do an EOT for me that way, it wasn't cash. It wasn't whatever. It was your time. You're giving me your time. You're going to value it. You're going to have that skin in the game. You're going to you're going to stick with it. And that's kind of and that's kind of how that started. You know, so I had a little stable of guys on the job I was working with and, and I got the opportunity to come out to Vero beach and meet with another gym owner at the time. And I mean, long story short, Ann and I came out here and, uh, he looked at Ann and he said, Hey, do you want to coach, you know, in the gym? He just looked at her and said, Hey, do you want a job coaching? And we're like, ha ha, you know, we work at Hillsborough County. And he's like, well, if you ever want to, uh, you know, talk about it, let me know. And uh, it's funny. I was, uh, I was on the hazmat unit that Monday and, uh, we were on like our 15th call um, before 8 PM. And I remember I was texting the guy back and forth and I was like, Hey, you know, my wife and I want to come back, you know, and, and check your spot out and see what we can do. You know, we get back, um, you know, from this trip or whatever. He's like, don't wait, come now. And I was, I made a joke. I said, I'm on my R day next week. You know, I got five days off and he goes, okay, cool. I'm going to book you some, some, uh, some consultations. And I said, Hey, I got to ask my wife this first. And it was literally no joke. We came in, did a little seminar came back and that was Monday. I was talking to him on the phone Wednesday. We were in Vero beach and uh, I was meeting with people and I was starting to work out of his gym and, uh, and doing it that way. So it was really a quick transition. And you know what my wife and I thought was, Hey man, maybe we'll get an extra swap. We'll come over to the beach once or twice a month started turning into something really, 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 really awesome for us. We were getting to work with people, not just in the worst 10 minutes of their life, not the worst two hours during a transport, but, spending time, spending weeks and months with people, watching them grow, watching them change, watching the lights click on, watching their lives change. And uh, we started realizing like, man, helping in this way is such a different feeling. It's such a different sense of gratification. And as we grew and in this kind of time stretched out, we realized like, man, we really like doing this. We really like helping on this side of things. We really like giving back to others so they can put more of themselves into their professions. And, uh, you know, over time, it just became kind of clear that, that that's where our hearts lied. We really wanted to help on this side of things. So so people that already give so much to themselves for their for their passions, their professions, we could just kind of enable them to take care of themselves so they could do it better.
0: Beautiful. Well, I can relate 100 percent because when I was still on shift, I coached, um, you know, I still was. Do it at the moment uh, the local CrossFit gym here, so I don't own it. I do it actually just in in lieu of uh, membership, really. But I've always, you know, had that observation. Like when we're on, you know, on a call, whether it's on the rescue or responding with the truck or engine, you are going to a lot of the time the the last effort, last ditch effort of saving someone. They've they've spent a lifetime when it's you know cardiac arrest or something of, of beating down their body and you know we're there to try and save them maybe they'll have a turnaround like my fellow firefighter did maybe they'll they'll just go into arrest the following week but you know that's it you're a complete knee-jerk um reactive response to someone's medical issue now when I uh, you know the following day i go and coach and and i'm like i'm realizing this is stopping people from ever being in the back of that rescue this is this is how we we do the proactive side even though it's an uphill battle because, again, we're fighting the philosophy where it's a, you know, one pill fix all kind of mentality. This is where you chip away and, and try and really address the nation's health. So both of them are helping. But in one way, in theory, are you doing more good with, you know, the proactive coaching, with nutrition coaching, with driver's ed, with all these things that can stop these people, you know, lying on their back with a tube sticking out their throat as we pull a yellow sheet over them?
1: No, it's, it's, it's a hundred percent, man. And it's funny because, uh, you know, there, there were a lot of circumstances that came on with this and and some stuff, you know, you, you know how the job is, you know, what happens when there's a regime change, you know, what happens with morale, you, you know, what happens firsthand, um, when you're on a department that gets support from the top down and you're on a department where they bring in a hatchet guy, um, to, 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 to fix the line item budgets. And, uh, fortunately, for me, at the time when I was making this transition, Hillsborough County was also going through a transition, and uh, the writing on the wall was clear for me that uh, you know having 19 years left um, already, I, I didn't get hired till I was 31. Um, having 19 years left to do a 30-year career in, in the state I was in just just wasn't really looking good with with everything that was going on, the changes that that we were seeing regime-wise, and uh, it kind of it kind of made my my decision a little bit better. Are a little bit easier for me in that regard. But, you know, once you're able to, like I said, I mean, there are people that, that, that my wife and I have been working with. They're, they're our friends. They're our family in Vero Beach. I mean, people that we, we, we've had Thanksgiving dinner for our first Thanksgiving here, we still work with, you know, so I've spent, you know, four and five years, my, some of our coaches with First in, Steve And, Steve Adam, I've been doing their nutrition for over five years. You know, Adam was regularly working 96s for Montgomery County Fire up in D.C., And and his hormonal profile was terrible. Man, my my buddy Steve Bogle, one of our coaches, I've been doing he's like literally patient zero for me, probably the first guy I ever did food for. He's been with me since day one. He's been coaching with me since first end started. You know, having these relationships and seeing these guys change their lives positively and now giving them an outlet to positively change the lives of others, man, it just it doesn't get any like better, more magical, like more incredible for me to see these, these changes happen over time, not run a call, drop a tube, bag somebody, hand them over to a doc, and then have to find out three days later, your intervention's failed. You know, you do all you can. And sometimes it's not enough. Now we get to match people's efforts, meet them halfway, share their life with them and see the positives that come from it. And then hear about the positives that happened in their family, that happened on their jobs, that happened with their significant others. It's just a truly incredible thing to be a part of. And it all started at that firehouse table. And, man, I feel extremely fortunate that some unfortunate circumstances happened through the years that got my wife and I to the place where we could start first in and finally do what we've wanted to do this entire time back in 2018. And that's just been the game changer for us is to do these things our way, with our ethics, with our mission. Um, to just help good people do good things, man. That's all we want to do.
0: Beautiful. Well, I wrote about my last day at the fire service in the book. That was that one where everyone died in that one chapter. Oh, that the, yeah. And it wasn't, it, that wasn't why I'd already put in my notice by that point. The universe gave me a little kick in the nuts. But, um, you know, the there was a very specific reason for that. I was at a point where I was getting mandatory all the time. I was divorced, single, dad, and being told, oh, you can't go home. And I'm like, well, I'm going home because I have a, you know, a three year old that needs me to be home. So you're going to have to figure it out. And so I figured the re- best way was just to say, well, screw it. You know, I'm, I'm moving to a different department that has Kelly days. It's not going to force me every shift so I can actually see my son. Um, what, you know, obviously you're on this path now where you're seeing all this, this good happening in a proactive way with the coaching and nutrition. What was your kind of uh, moment where you pulled the trigger on transitioning out of the fire service?
1: My, uh, my, my transition is actually kind of hilarious because, uh, it was a, a big talk of, of the, uh, the department from what I heard from some of my officers, some of the battalion chiefs, uh, were not very happy with me, but, um, one day I just decided that, uh, that, that I was going to transition out and that, and that I had, I had intentionally just, I was out of it. Um, you know, one of the things that that got me into actually my own health and fitness journey was uh, one of my officers, man. He's he's just a, just a, just a great guy. He actually officiated um, my wife and I's wedding. Um, the the captain, Rich Rigdon, he uh, he pulled me out in the bay one time because I was having some 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 frustrations with some things, and he told me he said, Jonathan, he said, you can keep banging your head against a wall, that's not going to fall down, or you can find a way to put this effort into something that's going to benefit you. And that resonated with me so loudly that that was the day, literally, I hired my coach. I said, fine. Probably didn't do it the way he meant it and, uh, and put that effort in another spot of the fire service, but I put that effort 100% myself and I saw that return on it. And, uh, you know, the fire service, man, you've been there. It's an amazing place. Um, you know, you, you work with some of the best people, you do some of the best work you can, but man civil service itself kind of really suppresses the desire to excel. Um, you go in and you put your 100% in. Somebody else comes in and puts their 70% in. You guys get the same review. You guys are in the same seniority list for X, Y, and Z. And you guys are in the same same position for whatever it comes to. And uh, and, and for me, that just kind of, kind of stacked onto it as well. So when I finally decided, hey, I'm going to put effort into where I can get one the most return out of it, but two, the most joy—like literally being able to help people, you know, help good people do good things. Um, I made the decision I was done. My wife wasn't so convinced, so so she kept working, and uh, I decided the day I was done that 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 I'm that I'm out. And and what's one way you make sure you can never go to, to work in the fire service? You grow a beard. And so I literally um, just started. I stopped shaving. And, uh, I grew out what I, I refer to as my resignation beard. (laughs) And, uh, and I had, I had annual, so I would, I would have annual, I was already having guys do exchanges and, and I would call out, I would burn my sick time. And, uh, I literally grew this full, massive, like lumberjack style beard out so much. So like I'd post like, and I, I would never violate social media policy. You'd never see me post a picture when I was called out. Nothing like that. It was always family time. It was never sick leave. It was, it was done per union contract. Um, Got it so bad when I talk about it. <laughs> but, uh, but one of my BCs was actually had pictures of me and he would have it on his clipboard. and He would show people in my battalion like, do you see this? And, you know. Uh, I remember again, uh, I'm not going to say his name, but one of my officers called me and, and he said, uh, yeah, man, you know, Chief so-and-so uh, who, who got fired really, really recently after this happened. But I won't, I won't rub that in. But he goes, yeah, Chief so-and-so was like, you see Montgomery, you see this beard he has. He's like, he's like he was supposed to be sick yesterday. And this captain goes, well, did anybody ask if he's OK talking about me? And he goes, he's at the beach. And my captain goes, well, maybe he has a sunburn. Did you think about that? And it just became this like giant joke of what what photo chief's going to have of me, you know, with a beard or whatever the whole time. So I really dragged my leaving out for for quite some time. What actually got us was we were at Disney at the time. And uh, I actually refer to this as the ice cream cone heard around the world. But we were getting ice cream, my wife and I. And uh, and I was like, hey, are you sure you want to post that picture? And she goes, yeah. I said, you know, and if you post this picture on Fourth of July, uh, when when we're supposed to be at work, I said, that's it. We're done. We have to resign. I said, are you sure you want to do that? And she goes, yep, I'm sure. And we posted that picture. And the next day we were getting some calls from 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 our station. And I said, don't worry, we've got our resignations ready. And that's actually how we resigned. Um, we resigned with an ice cream cone on the 4th of July at, uh, <laughs> at the boardwalk of, of Epcot. So, yeah. So, uh, it was kind of one of those things where it took her a little bit longer to be convinced than I was. Uh, she was a little bit more of the voice of reason. Um, but we had already, you know, basically decided, had our house listed and we're ready to go. And, and that was it. That was the final thing for her was, uh, okay. You know, we, we had an ice cream cone, uh, at Disney and, uh, and we were out, man. And it was, it was funny because I did, I knew, I knew months ahead, I had a pretty big lumberjack beard um, going at the time. And I mean, you could just tell I wasn't going to work.
0: Beautiful. Yeah. Well, actually the one I was, I was uh, talking about with the, the daily day was actually my last day in Orange County before I moved to, to Reedy Creek. Um, and then my final day was, was the same kind of thing. It was just like, all right, I think I was coming back from an injury and I was supposed to be back on the day. And I called on like, Hey, I'm clear for duty. And I'm not coming back. And, and for me personally, the last place, you know, as you probably heard in conversations, it was, uh, my least favorite experience in the fire service. Just leave it at that. Um, the, the weight off my shoulders, just like you said, I was, I was two years into the podcast at that point and I realized the coaching was help. I realized the podcast was making a difference and, and, you know, the force, the force multiplier element of, Getting this information, all these great people to the people that need to hear and then affecting all them, which then is going to in turn affect their families, their patients, you know, the, the cause they run, but getting away from the organizational stress, just like you said, banging your head against a fucking brick wall in a in a career where lives are at stake in this particular place did not give a shit about being prepared they didn't want to hear it they didn't want a mirror held up saying hey there's all these things that we need to do to be better at our job they just wanted to get on you know run their calls and then go home so when i retired the feeling of relief was i can't even describe it like almost euphoric like, I literally, I'd never have to deal with any of these fucking people again that, that had been the barriers. So I worked with some great people, but these barriers, these, these people that were just, you know, did not want any growth at all, were, were offended if you try to progress in any way. And you're like, wow, I'm my own boss now. I can do whatever I want, not in an obnoxious way, but I, I'm, I want myself to be better and I want to help everyone else become better and instead of being held back now I'm actually I I can I can do what I want when I wake up in the morning I can be my own boss did you have that kind of element of liberation you and Anne, once you had pulled the trigger on resigning
1: yeah it's 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 completely like you said and you know what man it's it's funny because it kind of goes back to to who you are right what your risk tolerance is what you want from life what you're willing to do to succeed and to win and, and for me, it's like I remember, you know, we've all had we've all had officers that that were amazing and we've had some officers that we didn't necessarily feel safe even operating under. And then it runs the gamut in between. And, you know, I remember talking to my mom one time and she was like, oh, man, how do you show up, you know, and work for somebody that's doing it wrong? that isn't doing it right. That isn't whatever that, cause she, you know, I tell my stories to my mom about so-and-so did this or so-and-so, whatever. And I told her, I said, well, mom, that's the job. The job is to show up and do what you're told. As long as it doesn't put you at risk, your crew at risk or the public at risk, you do what you're told right or wrong. You just do what you're told. And, uh, you know, that, that's the mentality, right? That's what we do. We, 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 we listen to what the officer says and, and right or wrong and different. We do it as long as no one's going to get hurt. And, uh, that's, I told that line for a long time, but, Having come from that punk rock background, having come from an entrepreneurial background, having had businesses and stuff like that where you actually do get the 100 percent return on what you put out, it eventually it eventually got too much. And, uh, you know, that that conversation in the bay, man, right in front of the heavy rescue uh, with Captain Rig was just, you know, really solidified it for me, man. You can bang your head against the wall. Or you can put your effort somewhere else. Well, you know, it'll benefit you. And, uh, you know, when I was free to do that, when I was free to double down on it, that's exactly what I did. You know, I tell people all the time, I've never worked harder and worked more in my life than I do each and every day right now. But I've also never been happier because I may go to bed exhausted, cursing at my phone, you know, with an overwhelming to do list and, 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 you know, the groups going wild and we're doing all this stuff and I've got all these projects in the back end I'm working on, but I also get out of bed excited each and every day to see what's next. And it wasn't that way for me for a while in the fire service. And uh, it's not, there's anything wrong with the job. The job is an amazing profession. It's nothing wrong with the guys that show up and do the job. They're amazing guys. It wasn't right for me where I was at that point in time with the admin, with the adversarial circumstances that I was facing. And I knew I had to change or it was going to change me to a point I didn't want to be on. So, you know, literally give up career, sell house, move across the state, do all these things on a, on a whim, man. It really just felt like setting off on tour for me again. Like, all right, no one's going to drive down this road and make the right turn. But me, let me pull out my Atlas. Let me grab my compass. Let me make sure I know what I'm doing. And that's a wild feeling, man. There's still some times I would wake up, you know, a couple years early into it with that. Oh my God, what did I do? You know, Oh my God, I don't have a pension. You know, Oh my God, I don't have security anymore. That's why you go to work, man. That's, that's why you, you do your best to succeed. That's why you try to help people the best you can make smart decisions and do the right thing. Cause you, you hope you're able to, to, to steer that ship, you know, the correct way. So you can just take care of more people so you can take care of yourself. And to me, it's a liberating thing, man. It's, a, it's an exciting thing. It's a, it's a empowering thing to know that you're in charge It's kind of like when you're the officer on the box or whatever, you got to make that decision and you make the right one. The wrong one's costly, but, you know, so far, I I can't say I always get it right, but I always try to do the right thing. And it's it's been pretty decent for us.
0: Beautiful. Yeah, and it's funny with the story in in the the Bay. My story like that was actually talking to Jocko Willink. And he was talking about playing the long game. And I was like, you know what? You've nailed it. I, where I am now, that long game, it's its a revolving door. And I know I've, I've watched it get worse and worse and worse since I've left. Not because I left. Let me be arrogant about it. But I've watched it deteriorate. So you have to look at where you work. It's not the profession. It's where you are working. And the goal is for the departments to all be full of motivated, healthy, happy men and women. Because i Freaking love this profession. When I was riding the truck in Anaheim, it was my you know firefighter's wet dream. The back of a tiller truck, going on roofs, cutting cohesive crew. I was a black cloud. But you know, as you know, the the other elements factor in, and and you you can take a profession that you adore, and it can be turned to the point where you're not enjoying it anymore. So then you have to revisit. Why did I become a police officer, a firefighter, whatever it was? Can I do that same level of service or even a magnified version of service in a different way? So it's not leaving the fire service. It's reframing the same mission you already had.
1: You know, I, I agree 100 percent. And it's funny, man. I, I love the job. I actually we work with a bunch of people at the local the local department here, the local county agency here. And I actually volunteer. Um, I actually went, you know, last year and said, hey, I've got a little bit of free time. Let me get back on the truck with some of the people I work with. One of the one of the women. She's the D.E. at the station I've all at. Um, I've been with her I've been in her food for four years. And so it's, it's, a, it's a fun change of pace to go turn around and have her get to boss me around for a little bit. It's awesome. And I, I love giving back and I love being an extra hand, set of hands for those guys on the street before COVID because PPE got scarce. Um, but, uh, you know, I love doing that. I love giving back. But at the same time, it's what you said. It's like, well, why did I start the fire service? Did I start to put wet stuff on red stuff or did I start to help people? And, you know, I feel like I have such a bigger platform to help and positively impact more people now that it excites me every day, like it did that first day riding backwards, and uh, you know, I think I think that's really what it came down to for me was, man, what's gonna what's gonna give me the ability to help people more? Because that's what it's all about. It, it's never necessarily about the vehicle you choose. It's about heading in the direction that you want your life to be headed in. And I think I think that's what made the transition easier for me is because it's all been a logical progression.
0: Yeah. And I think if a lot of us are honest and say us, you know, we we transitioned out, but I see a lot of um, men and women that were the same as you and me, like, you know, young, aggressive firefighters that, that did it for the right reason. But then fast forward, you know, 20 years, now they've got the countdown apps. Now that pension is like the thyroid medicine like the the actual purpose is gone, and now i'm I'm just just going through the you know the the motions, trying to get to my to my drop, trying to get to my twenty five to my thirty, whatever it is, and you know you got to ask yourself, well, you're still waiting you know five, ten years, whatever it is. What if you transitioned out not, out now and did something else that excited you again, if you got to the point where you're counting down not just minutes or hours years, yeah then maybe it's time to either, you know, like change stations, get get involved, you know, promote, do special operations, whatever it is. Or maybe there's another parallel route that you can take that will light the fire and and you wouldn't even think about retiring. anymore. I don't think about retiring pension to mm-hmm. me. There's no guarantee that any of that money is ever going to be there when you get to the end. So to me, I well, want to be one of those old farts that's still passionate about what they do in their 80s and 90s.
1: You nailed it about the pension, man, not especially when they, they remove the cost of living increase. So that pension is going to be worth 50 cents on the dollar if you're even lucky to make it five years. Um, but but it's funny. One of the things that you just said right there um, when it came to lost my train of thought here for a minute. Um, well, that's embarrassing. No. It's oh, a, yeah. No, I'll
0: cut one, out one, that don't worry. <laughs>
1: yeah, one of the one of the things you just said right there was was that phrase only. It's only so many years. When Anna and I first made this decision, I mean, it was not well received. Um, there were plenty of people uh, clicking their phones on refresh to watch us fail and wonder when we were going to try to come come back or get another job or do whatever. And uh, you know, now when I talk to them, you know, the climate's gotten even worse uh, systemically, but especially where we came from. And uh, when I talk to them now. It's, man, you know, you guys did the right thing. Uh, I wish there was something I could do. I, you know, I'd leave now, but I only have 12 years left. I only have 10 years left. I only have 15 years left. I can't even wrap my head around that. You, you may only have 15 minutes left. You know, we all know that not a single cardiac arrest that we ran, traumatic or, or, or medical, did that person wake up brush your teeth in the morning and go, yep, today's the day I'm checking out. You don't know. Time is not guaranteed. You may not even have 15 days and you're worried about you only have 15 years left to start living. Man, what is it you think you're going to do the day after you retire? Can you do that now? And if so, you don't have to wait till you retire. Now, you have to be responsible. You have to take care of yourself. You have to take care of your family. You have to have responsibilities. But to say you only have a decade left... I don't know, man, that's terrifying to me. That's even more terrifying than, than waking up with the night terrors of not having a pension anymore. It's you only have a decade left. It's the best decade of your life, though. You know, y- y- you have to live. And, and I think to me that comes into, in, in, into full circle with, you know, health and fitness. It's like, when are you going to get in shape? When are you going to fix these problems? Because you you don't have a decade left to fix them. You got to start fixing them now if you want to have that decade. And I think people just get so caught up in that expectation reward kind of whatever. Like, well, once I get the pension, life will be great. Man, not if it's not great right now. It's only going to be worse when you're arthritic and can't move. Uh, When you became one of the statistics and you contracted a a weird set of thyroid cancer or whatever from from your Nomex. You know, whatever it is, it ain't going to get much better unless you work to make it better. So if you're grumbling with your countdown timer you're still going to be grumbling once it counts down. And I think so many people are afraid to accept that reality, that that life starts right now and you have to start living it if you're ever going to.
0: Absolutely. I think another thing that I've seen as a common denominator with people who have successfully transitioned out, the the first responder communities, the the military communities, is they have that next thing to go to, which includes obviously that next tribe. Because to me, the, the thought of being a passionate, aggressive firefighter and one day that bay door comes down behind you and you're you're out the loop now. You're out the group. You know, your you, your tribe is gone, and now that what you identified to, uh, with this whole time, you go. You know, you play golf, whatever. You, the people you play golf with are probably not going to get what you did the last ten, twenty, thirty years. So to me, it's healthy to start looking for something else. You may not actually do it. You may still with the fire service. You know, for for the whole full career, but at least you've you've cross pollinated to the next step because. What I see sadly in the mental health side is, is a lot of our retirees find themselves, you know, back at home. Some of them, their wives don't want them around. <laughs> you know, <laughs> you hear that taken back. Um, you know, but, but there's that kind of, um, dislocation, you know, and that feeling of loneliness then. So I think that whether you actually pull the trigger on transitioning out to a different career or whether you just start thinking about transitioning out period, start thinking about. If I wasn't doing this, what else would I want to do? How else can I help? You know, what is another burning desire? Because I've served. You do 10, 15, 20 years in the military, that's a revered service. But yet we we look down upon it in the first responder community if you didn't do 25 because that's what the pension says. So ask yourself, if your burning desire is, you know, I'm... David Rhodes and I'm just, this is, I I eat, breathe, you know, eat and breathe the fire service and I'm still making a difference. Absolutely. And we need those, you know, those, um, you know, smoke breathers in the fire service. But if you are, you know, to the point where you just hit that, that, um, that ceiling as it were in your particular organization, you feel you're suppressed and you're getting frustrated and, and you don't see a way of, of turning the ship as it were. Maybe a lateral move would be much healthier for you mentally and physically and definitely longevity wise.
1: You know, it was uh, <clears throat> a little bit of a tangent, but that was one of like just a really powerful section in your book was about what happens next. You know, when, when those bay doors close and uh, you transitioned out, I transitioned out. I, I know what happens. You, your family, your brotherhood, they're gone. You know, they're still there. You can still call them up. You still see them every now and again, but you're not there for 33 percent of your life. And uh, man, that that is a is a is a huge thing if you're not considering it. You know, where are you going to find your community? Where are you going to find your brotherhood? If, if you're not on the, the BJJ mat, what do you have? You know, if you're not in a civic organization, what do you have? And that was one of the things that when Ann and I really started thinking about what we wanted, is we wanted that family. We wanted that environment, you know, and, and, and we call first in a family, um, because it is our family. And it's funny because people think it's like a marketing gimmick or whatever, but we built it in our badge from day one. There's an FIF in there because the family comes first. And for me, it's, it's awesome to provide that sense of community, you know, one for our members, because we talk about, Paul's we talk about stuff in the community we we provide a place to vent we provide support our members support each other but the biggest reason we wanted that family was for us man it was for Anna and myself to be reconnected to something larger than ourselves something we could give to watch grow that whole rising tide raises all ships it really is a is a is a, is a selfish endeavor to be selfless to create this family because it was for us man we didn't have it anymore we didn't have those brothers and sisters anymore, and now we do. And I think you just nailed it so much is, you know, a, a captain, another captain, you know, that I worked with, he always told me, always think about your exit plan. And it wasn't to leave the fire service. It's what are you going to do after? What are you going to do to make the state regret giving you that cushy retirement because you lived long enough to, to make it actually cost them money? What are you going to do afterwards? And, you know, the best the best time to think about that exit plan was probably 10 years ago. But if you haven't started, start thinking about it now. Where is your family? Where is your brotherhood? Where is your community? Where are your passions? Because you may find like me, I never thought I was going to leave the fire service to coach nutrition. I never thought that I was going to give up security to, to become, you know, to, to, to run a family, to run a business but by getting involved, by setting myself out there, by finding other ways I could serve, I found something that, that just gave me back as much as I was putting into it. And it changed my life. Um, you know, and, and I think it's it's again, it's 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 foolish and it's it's rewriting that narrative to think everything's going to be OK um, to not be thinking about what what could be next. Because ask anybody that got furloughed, ask anybody that has layoffs, ask anybody whose municipality collapsed and your department doesn't exist anymore, they thought they were secure too. So we always have to realize that, that as much as it's a brotherhood and a sisterhood, the people downtown, people at headquarters, they're probably not looking at you that way. And they'll replace you tomorrow with one of 7,000 dual certified people that are currently unemployed in the state of Florida the second they can because it costs them less in benefits and salary. So you always kind of have to think, man, not to get dark. But you always have to kind of look out for for you and your family and your own mental well being, and kind of have these things as options for you.
0: Beautiful, absolutely beautiful. I think you nailed it on the head. So, well, you mentioned about first in. So, let's talk about that. Where can people find that? And tell me what um you know what you offer to the people listening.
1: So, our website really easy firstinnutrition.com. Um Kind of didn't think that through with the the, the ends stacked up together. But yeah, it's, it's first in, like, you know, everybody knows first in, first do first on the scene. It's not that we think we're the first. I mean, we kind of like ourselves, but you know, it's about being first in it's about being fit for duty fueled for life and being ready to be first in being ready to answer that call. Um, you know, I can show you my before photo. I ran some calls, but I'm probably not the guy you wanted to show up on scene. Probably want a guy that looks a lot more like you to show up on scene. So, you know, it's just about helping people be first in and get fit for duty, whatever that duty may be. Um, we have a very strong focus on our brothers and sisters in civil service, military, veterans, their spouses, but we're here to help anybody that wants to make positive changes. Um, what I tell everybody is simply this if you're not big fans of the military and you don't like the police, you're probably not going to get along in our group. They're probably also not going to be listening to your podcast, but I like to throw <laughs> that out there, man. Um, you know, we're not a political organization. We're not a, 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 a red versus blue, and I mean that in police versus fire. I don't mean that in a, uh, in a, in a political way. Or a crips uh, and we're very, <laughs> we're very much a, a family, and uh, we're a family first. And, you know, as far as what we offer – you know, I tell everybody this, if you're looking for deliverables and a list of a PDF or, or, or any kind of fun widgets, we don't do that, man. We, uh, we offer one-on-one coaching. We try to meet people where they're at. We work with them to find out what their struggles are, what their successes are, what they're doing really great, what they could use some work on, what their life looks like on a whole, what their shifts are. You know, it's, it's a process. There's not a template here. It's not a one-size-fits-all. You know, when we start working with a member, we ask them to find out, you know, track a week right now. Let us know what you're doing right now. Let us know where you're at. From there, we learn a lot on what your busy days look like, what your off days look like, what a shift day might look like for you, what uh, what your second and third job might look like. All these things so we can start trying to help you find a plan that fits your life and not necessarily force your life to fit a plan. Um, I think there's a lot of people that get caught up in the perfect plan and once I have the perfect plan I'll start it perfect is 100% the enemy of good and we don't care about perfect we care about making progress so you know we could all probably rattle off what we think the best foods to eat would be and the best this and that we may come up with 27 different ideas but the point is that to us the best plan on paper doesn't matter if it's not one you'll execute so, man, we may start somebody and on paper it may look like it just, well, that's horrible. There's no pink Himalayan sea salt. There's no organic quinoa here. How can you call this healthy? Man, I've never met a healthy food. I've only met healthy people. And I've got several hundred people in first in right now that improve their health markers and not a single one of them eat the same way. So there must be something else to it. And to me, it's how do I get you to keep showing up and how do I get you to work on being 1% better every day? And that's not by flipping your life upside down and asking you to do something that's the diametric opposite of everything you like, enjoy, and know. It's, hey, that one thing you're doing right there, that's pretty good. Can we do a little bit more of that? You know, what's the least we can do to build a solid foundation before we go any further? You know, same thing with cribbing, man. We got to capture every, every, every inch we go up. We got to capture it so it doesn't come falling back down. We can only do that from a solid foundation. I get a high left Jack in 30 seconds, get that thing four feet off the ground, but it's not very stable. So sometimes slow and steady really does win the race. And that's the approach we take. And it's gonna look different for everybody. You know, if, if, if someone like you came in with your background, your history, your training, your knowledge, your first week's gonna look a thousand times different than somebody who's never even thought about food other than an emotional outlet or a utilitarian expense. And we really take that individual approach with everybody, you know? Yeah, man, it all comes down to what we talked about before, inputs and outputs, calories, protein, fat, carbs. How do we get a plan to be executed is so much more important to me than what that plan is, especially when we start working with somebody.
0: Beautiful. I love that. And I think one of the the elements that you touched on was the, uh, you know, each person's an individual. The one size fits all that I've seen, I mean, we're we're roughly the same age, so what we were taught when we were young, like you said, the focus was on the bodybuilding, on, you know, the powerlifting kind of um fitness versus wellness, as it were. But, you know, this is how you should eat. Oh, you should have, you know, rice and chicken breast and broccoli. Or you should, you know, have a big bowl of pasta because then you're going to carb up for your race the next day. And now I see that. Sadly, you still get carnivores and vegans, you know, arguing with each other on podcasts, which is such a fucking waste of time, in my opinion. Waste of time. Yeah. But, you know, we are all different. But there are definitely some areas that overlap that, you know, that seem to be pretty significant. You know, processed food is overall pretty detrimental, especially, in, you know, if it's eaten in a, a larger amount. Would you want a, an animal that was raised holistically versus one that was in a factory covered, you know, filled with hormones? Again, a pretty simple question. But as far as the individual... Um, you know diet, like you said, if if you've got someone who's a Samoan and you've got someone who's a Kenyan, you know they they are probably going to have different backgrounds, different protein needs, different tastes, even. So to say everyone should eat this way, everyone should be plant based, everyone should be you know on keto is ridiculous. And and like you underlined, starting with what someone likes to do. This guy is a triathlete. This one likes you know stand up paddleboarding. Great. Well now you've got a foundation to start expanding on. This person likes rice. This person likes, you know, salads. Beautiful. Let's expand on that too. So that individuality, I think, is, is something that's missed so much. And, you know, the, to hear you say that is is fantastic because that's what people need to hear is, you know, each one of us is different. And that's not a bad thing. That's a great thing because now you have a foundation to build on.
1: Absolutely. And you know what? The thing is, I don't care who you are and how, you know, I don't... So good or bad are words that I try to not, I try to not attach morality to food, but it it makes it for an easy conversation. We all kind of know what I mean. I don't care how bad you may be eating. And let's define bad as not moving you closer to your goals, right? I don't care how terrible you're eating in terms of making improvements. If I can get that 1% better and get that 1% better and get that 1% better, and I can do that over the long time, eventually, you're probably going to correct all the issues that you have going on because you're going to keep building on successes. You're going to look forward to win. Whereas if I say, Hey, let's do insert crazy restrictive name diet here for an arbitrary amount of time. Maybe that works for the arbitrary amount of time. Maybe you can't even get through the first day and then now you feel like a failure and now it's your fault and you just can't do anything right. So why even try arguing about, food quality, veganism, carnivore, any of those things, there's probably merits to everything. Um, Depending on what echo chamber you put yourself in will depend on how many merits you find. But all I care about is, man, how do I get you a little bit better? Maybe you screwed the pooch on being the 100% best person you ever could have been from 35 years of eating to excess. Hand raised, that was me. But I've been able to get a whole lot better over the last six years. Maybe if I didn't eat kid's cereal, I could be even better than I am right now. I'm okay with that trade-off right now. Maybe if instead of having five servings of vegetables a day, I had six, I could get a little bit better. But maybe if I had six and I didn't have that kid's cereal, I'd binge on a large pizza tomorrow and that would be worse. So it's all about trade-offs. It's all about how do we do the most good with the least negative impact. And what I mean by that is everybody needs to stop looking for the easy way out. The easy way out is never going to bring you to your goals. The hard path will, but we can find ways to make that hard path a little bit less difficult and we can find ways to better equip you for that journey. And that's where we come in and intervene. If you were looking to be the absolute 100% best in the world, at insert athletic activity, you probably wouldn't be contacting us. You'd be contacting, uh, uh, you know, a PhD and, a, and an RD and you'd be contacting your strength coach who's talking to your conditioning coach, who's talking to your sports-specific coach. And you'd have this team like, uh, like Ivan Drago. <laughs> you, you wouldn't be coming to first in nutrition. Um, have we put people in the CrossFit games? Yeah. Do we work with high-level athletes? Sure. And the guy I put in the CrossFit games fueled himself with turkey sandwiches on white bread and Skittles if that tells you anything about what some of the best people in the world eat, it ain't what you think. But at the same time, if we can get you from zero to one and then from one to two and then two to three over time, a lot of those horrible inconsistencies in your diet, whether it's not enough protein, whether it's not enough fiber, whether it's not enough vegetables, whether it's a caloric excess, whether it's too much processed food, whether it's a imbalance of omega three and omega nines, mega sixes. Um, They're going to correct themselves over time because success begets success. And that's our whole thing, man, is how do we make the hard stuff a little bit less difficult? Not how do we make it insurmountable? Um, You know, and and I think it's a little bit different approach. A lot of people because we're basically food agnostic. Hey, if you want to be vegan, great. You're limiting your window. It's going to be a little harder. Hey, you want to be a carnivore? Sweet. That sounds terrible. But, you know, it's going to be a little bit harder for you to find balance. But you're going to have to work on it hey you want to eat everything that comes in a package cool you're probably not going to feel that great let's let this work itself out in time and as we improve moving the big rocks first eventually we'll get to those tiny pebbles and we can focus on those things that help you continue to improve and by that point you've made enough change that you're ready for those next levels and i think it's just a little bit of a different approach than just dogmatically throwing things at people you have to do this you have to shop here you have to eat that If that was going to work, we'd all been eating chicken and broccoli our whole life since the bodybuilding days. But I know I didn't do that.
0: (laughs) No, and it's boring as hell and bland too. (laughs)
1: Absolutely,
0: man. (laughs) All right. Well, beautiful. I mean, I love love your philosophy. I think it's fantastic. You've obviously got a lot of testimonials, not only with customers, but people who then ended up becoming coaches as well. So where can people find the site?
1: Firstinnutrition.com. Um, you know, we're on the website, we're on, we're on Facebook and Instagram. I will, I will throw the hand up in the air and apologize. I do not update them as much as I do my personal stuff. Um, that's on the to-do list, but uh, you know, we only got so many hours in the day and, and right now um, working inside our family and helping them has just taken kind of precedence over a little bit of social media, but we're, we're available on that. All of our coaches are online on social media. And if you go to first you can drop an email to support, click the link or support at firstinnutrition.com and we're here to answer any questions we can and help in any way we can
0: beautiful all right well then switching to some closing questions we've been chatting almost two hours already which is awesome right (laughs) Um, is there a book that you love to recommend it could be related to what we've discussed today or something completely different
1: man you know it's it's crazy because as you know i just recommended your book to a to a brother in fdny the other day and uh, and yours is kind of hot on my list. But man, if I just have to pick a book on the spot like this uh, one, if it's if it's fiction, I suggest everybody buy the uh, 10 phone books that make the Wheel of Time series because that helps me go to bed every night right now. Um, but if I really had to pick a book and I had to be serious about it, man, I would say Man's Search for Meaning by, by Viktor Frankl. If you want perspective and you want to change your life and you want to see uh what what having a, a, a big enough why is that you can bear anyhow as Nietzsche likes to say um man's search for meaning is just just an epic an epic life changer of a book in, in my opinion
0: i couldn't agree more it's sitting in front of me right now amazing amazing what,
1: book. A, what a great book I, i'm a, i'm a pretty voracious reader I, I like to read a lot in a, everything varying from nutritional sciences and in in, in sports specific stuff to to finance and business but um Man, man, Search for Meaning is just one that I, I'll, I'll continue to go back to, especially every time I'm having one of those days where I think life's hard. Um, I, I know nothing about hardships in comparison, man. It's just just, a, just a just perspective period.
0: Absolutely. Well, what about a, a movie and or a documentary?
1: So a movie, um, my favorite movie of all time is uh, The Princess Bride. Um, if if people haven't seen that movie, you're going to laugh at me, but, but man, I, I, that's the movie I watch anytime it comes on. Um, so much so that one of my bands, uh, I named as you wish after that movie. So that's, that's my, that's my favorite movie. It's not very applicable. And, uh, you know, as far as documentaries go, I'll be honest with you. I am not much of a documentary fan. And the reason for that is, is simply because coming from a nutrition background, in um, a sports background, when I see the Netflix documentaries on nutrition, and I know how they're one-sided, they're all about pushing an agenda. They're they're all about sensationalism and 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 mostly misinformation. They're 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 edutainment. Um, they're not even education. It really made me question: Is every documentary that way? Like like is every other single field dealing with the same stuff we deal with in health and fitness, charlatans, 'er ne'er-do-wells, trying to sell quick fixes or push an agenda, you know, because maybe they have a vested interest in a pea protein company. Um, so it really made me start thinking like, wow, is every other documentary that way? And it kind of changed a lot for me, man. It kind of really made me look at the whole industry to where, well, if I tell somebody, if you want to learn about nutrition, consult primary literature first, if I want to learn about history, maybe I should grab a history book if I want to learn about. And so it really kind of like I know I have a bizarre perspective with that, um, but it really kind of shifted things for me. So I don't really know if I have like a favorite documentary that I could honestly say, like I confirm this is historically accurate. So I'm, I'm kind of weird like that. I don't think I have one. Um, I'm, I'm open to watching them, especially because I, I'm a huge fan of being entertained. But I know when I watch Netflix, it's Netflix and chill not Netflix and Learn Hard Sciences. So since I have to kind of take that standpoint with a lot of our members, like, hey, you might want to get a textbook first, um, I really started questioning, like, are all documentaries that way?
0: All right. Well, I'll throw one at you um, because, again, nutrition ones, I agree. I think of the themes, that's one that's going to be the most biased because, again, it depends on the people who are making it and what worked for them. But David Attenborough, who's been the voice of, you know, nature documentaries since, you know, I'm in the 50s, he just did one on Netflix called A Life on Our Planet. And if you want to unbiased, just view through, uh, you know, a naturist's eyes of what he has seen change in this, this, you know, planet that he's got to travel with and, and compare now to 50 years ago, that is an incredible. And he has a bias. He's seeing the world being destroyed, you know, so, uh, um, that's his agenda, as it were, but it's more of a testimony than, than, you know, he's not gaining from it. I mean, he's 93 now. So I think he's just trying to leave the lessons before, you know, he passes on. So um I can't recommend that one enough.
1: No, that's awesome. And I'll definitely check that out. And I think what you said right there is let's be honest, everyone has an agenda. It's it's impossible, you know, to to remove all bias. Even even people that that embrace the scientific method can get caught under rigor. That's why we have peer review to make sure they're not engaged in bias. But if anything stimulates you to 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 go Further research and educate yourself on a subject. I'm a fan of it. I don't care if it's Morgan Spurlock or uh, uh, you know the, the the latest and greatest on, on Netflix. If it if it if it furthers you to educate yourself because you got inspired and entertained by it, that's great. And and hearing this, somebody with that kind of unique perspective that can recount, no, no, I've been here over the last four or five decades. 27 times and it has changed that sounds incredible and it sounds like it would spur a lot of further research so that's awesome
0: absolutely alright so next question what do you do to decompress
1: man that's a that's a great question and it's one I ask myself daily because I need to do a lot more more of it um, when it comes to self-care um, I, I don't I think you know you and I both could agree it's extremely important and uh, making sure to take time for it is huge right now especially during this pandemic. My biggest outlet has been Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, and it's been one that I haven't had for the longest time. Um, when the pandemic shut everything down, obviously the schools closed. And when they opened back up, uh, my wife and I had doubled down and invested so much in First In, in doing lives and giving back to our members and and just being consumed with work. We haven't made the time to get back yet. We've had, we've had a move, we had a second house to sell. We've had all these things going on, some changes in our team. And, um, you know, we just haven't made the time to get back to it. And I can tell you firsthand, missing that outlet, missing that community missing that mental stress, that physical stress relief has been a huge wear on me. So I'm really excited to look back to getting back on the mat here in the next week or two, but my biggest thing, my biggest place where I go to reset and disconnect is simply go to the beach. And being able to something about it, man, put your toes in the sand, hear the waves, feel the sun, watch the sunrise, watch the sunset, you know, just to be out in that environment. It really does literally physically and and metaphorically wash everything away from me. So I'm a huge fan of finding that happy place and taking as many minutes as you can there. And and for me, it's definitely the beach.
0: Beautiful. Yeah, I agree with both of those. My son and I have stopped for... Over a year now, actually, through a you know a host of things from injuries to um, him getting a little burnt out at his previous school. So we we decided just to reset in the beginning of the year because this next couple of weeks is going to be a wash anyway. But uh, yeah, I miss it. I really do. Just that that discomfort, you know that that as you said that constant um, humility that is forced upon you by everyone of all shape and size, some higher belts, some lower belts, and you walk out. You know, with, with no ego and, and a huge amount of lessons to learn from.
1: I mean, 100%. And, you know, honestly, that actually circles back to somebody I think would be amazing for your podcast. Um, my professor, my master, Hanato Tavares. Um, man, he, you want to talk about a guy who, who has a growth mindset and who has overcome, you know, adversity and struggles He's been training BJJ for 46 years. Um, he started when he was six and he's 52 now. And uh, the, the amount of time in history that he has, the connection he has to being, you know, basically, you know, he got his black belt from 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 Master Carlson. Um, so literally being one step away, removed from the source of, of, of A-Leo, Um, You know, the guy has so many stories to tell. He has so much experience on the mat, so much experience in the ring. But not only that, he has so much experience in life and being a good person and, and, you know, giving back to the community and giving back to first responders and, and training law enforcement and stuff. He's just such an ambassador of, of humanity to me. This guy, uh, man, he was with me through some really tough times, really tough times personally and really tough times um, professionally as Ann and I were transitioning to starting First in. And, uh, you know, if it wasn't for him, man, I, I, don't, I don't know where I'd be, what I'd be doing, uh, or where my 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 uh, you know mindset would be because just having him to look up to, you know, one on the mat, of course, uh, you know, a guy ten years older than you, fifty pounds lighter than you, whooping you like it's nobody's business at at a whim is always something to look up to. But just admiring his character as a person and uh, and what he's done and been able to accomplish, um, man, just talk about growth mindset. I think I think he's it in the flesh, man. You know. Uh, one with the BJJ walk but two just being a great person um, you don't always get that combination You know, we could always probably name some of our favorite grapplers that might not be that nice uh, uh, of humans but for him to have the time on the mat he has the, the the lineage he has the tradition he has and to be just an amazing person I think he'd be a great addition
0: brilliant well thank you I, and I've heard of him obviously in this, this local area and I want to say is, is Matt, uh, Matt and Bill before him under that umbrella the Bartlers they are okay yeah, they are quite...
1: uh, Matt just got his black belt Okay. from Master Master Anato.
0: Beautiful. All right. Well then, the very last question. Let's just re reiterate where people can find you before we uh close out.
1: Absolutely man, if anybody wants to learn about First In and I hope you do, um check us out at firstinnutrition.com. Uh you can find me on Facebook or Instagram too. Uh Jonathan Montgomery, I'm pretty easy to find. Um but yeah, firstinnutrition.com, send us an email, check us out. If you have any questions, let us know, man. We're here to help anybody that wants to uh to make improvements.
0: Beautiful. Well, Jonathan, I want to say thank you so much. I know we've uh, gone back and forth for quite a long time now, and uh, you know it, it's it's so weird. It, it's like a bingo machine. Uh, you know, the people, the balls will be there just banging around, and then the universe will spit one out, and it's the right time to do the interview. And I'm so glad that we did it now because obviously we got a lot of a lot of commonalities in both of our lives. But I think you brought so many new and interesting perspectives in this particular conversation. So thank you for being so generous with your time today
1: man thanks so much it really really appreciate you having me on here and, and talking to me and spending so much time with you man like you said it's it's been it's been not ships in the night but just hey how's it going hey how's it going what's up and just interacting in so many circles that it's just really awesome to be able to spend this time with you to talk and it's it's like it's like we've done it a hundred times man that's what i love about uh these, these common backgrounds in the brotherhood